Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. I'm your host, Michael McCall, and this is episode 386, the Self-Isolation Special. Yes, things are a little bit different for this episode. For starters, we're not coming from the CITR studios. Steve, Zach and myself have decided to have some social distancing. Nothing to do with the coronavirus, we were just basically getting on each other's nerves, so we thought, let's take a little bit of a break from each other. And the other big difference, of course, is there's no actual football to talk about. No live football, no Whitecaps game, no MLS games. Because unless you've been living under a rock, which might be one of the safest places to be these days, football around the globe has shut down. Not entirely around the globe, but we will come to that later in the show. But at these worrying times where, yep, we can be a bit flippant about it, because as I've said before, that's basically how we deal with things here at AFTN. If you don't laugh, you'll cry. And I know there's a lot of people that's going to be out there just now genuinely worried, genuinely concerned and panicked. And it's all understandable, because let's face it, none of us really know what's going to happen next with the coronavirus pandemic. It's been such a fast-changing week. Things aren't so much changing by the day as by the hour in a number of different places. And we saw that this week in the world of sport. The domino effect of a Utah Jazz player testing positive to the NBA, suspending their season. NHL followed, MLS followed, other leagues around the world, other sports around the world. It is a very worrying time. There's a lot of concern out there. But what I feel is important to have at times like this, is a little bit of normality in your life. A little bit of fun, a little bit of humour, some entertainment. And hopefully, that's what we will continue to bring you here at AFTN, both in this podcast and on the website, aftn.ca. But it does mean that we're going to have to do things a little bit differently. So there's not really going to be any in-person interviews, in-studio chats, We're going to do a lot of stuff remotely, by telephone, by Skype, whatever. But I think we've got a fairly entertaining show lined up for you this evening. We're going to be joined in parts two and three by Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer, just to talk about the the coronavirus a little bit and the state of US soccer just now that's had a very, very interesting week. But we're going to kick things off in tonight's show with my co-host, 
currently sitting out in the woods in Abbotsford guarding the AFTN toilet paper bunker. Joining us on the phone now, it's only Zachary Adam Meisenheimer. Oh man, how's it going Michael? Oh, it's going very well. And obviously, I'm kidding, we have not stashed all our toilet paper in a secret bunker. I've put it in an even safer place than that. Whitecaps trophy cabinet. No one's going to think of looking in there. <laughs> oh, man. It's behind, it's behind the Mickey Mouse cup. Yeah. So before we, we get into everything in this part of the show, I've just got to, to check in with you, Zach, and... How are things in Abbotsford with all this coronavirus panic? Are you, like, well-prepared? You've got lots of nice food and toilet paper to, to take you through the coming weeks and months? Uh, I don't know about months, but, yeah, we're, we're, we're semi-prepared, I guess I should say. Uh, well, it's better than not being prepared at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my work situation will be a little bit interesting uh, these next few weeks anyways, but uh, this has made it even more interesting, so... Yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I, I mean, I should have some time on my hands to figure a few things out. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough time for a, a lot of people. And I mean, something which has been a, a big discussion, I've been retweeting a lot of this, is it's interesting to see what sports organisations throughout North America are deciding to pay their event staff and the, the building staff and things like that and which ones are, are not. Because there's going to be a lot of people there that that might be their only job. Yes, some people, it's maybe a, su- a supplement job or whatever to them, but there's going to be a lot of people out of money and really struggling to make ends meet with with the whole shutdown of sports. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, it's, it's pretty... Uh, it's going to be a, an intense time for a number of families, right? A number, another ind- number of individuals. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so hopefully these teams will help out. You know, you've seen... Uh, different athletes uh, from different sports uh, talking about how they are planning on, um, you know, giving and chipping in. Uh, I was kind of encouraged uh, yesterday or today. I saw a student I used to work with um, trying to set up like a network, you know, on social media of like trying to provide help and care for those who are going to be going through some tough times or whatever. And whether it's delivering meals or buying food or whatever kind of thing. So, and, and um, I was also in a discussion with some CPL supporters today who are uh, trying to, uh, you know, they, they don't have, they don't have um, supporter things to take care of right now. So they're trying to um, use their, their time and energy and resources to, to support food banks and stuff like that, uh, that are going to probably be in greater need than, than even normal. So. Yeah, well, that's fantastic yeah. to hear. And like, just just to start the show off with a kind of little bit of seriousness, it's like at, at this time, a lot of folk are worried and a lot of folk are scared. And it, it's it's important to have a little bit of normality in your life. That's why we're continuing doing the podcast and, and writing stuff on the site. But also check in with people, check in with friends online. If you haven't seen someone tweeting or you haven't had a text from someone, check in with them. Just make sure they're okay because for some people this is going to be a, a super lonely time and there's going to be yeah. people that's got mental health issues and there's going to be people that the isolation is going to be really tough and elderly people and just a, a little hello, a little text, a little tweet. I mean, it, it can mean the world to, to somebody and it's just important that we all really just look after each other at this time yeah get your get your whatsapp conversations going but anyway we're not here to be serious we're here to 
I was going to say entertain, that might be using the word loosely, but we've we've got a packed show for you. Obviously, a lot of talk is going to be about the coronavirus, because that's dominated the, the football headlines. I think it's just a big conspiracy to prevent Scotland qualifying for their first major football tournament since 1998. <laughs> we had a chance, we just had to beat Israel and then Serbia or Norway and we're in the Euros. We're even hosting three matches, so obviously it's... N- if Scotland's got a chance to do well at something, just things never work out. To to use a line from from train spotting to kind of paraphrase it a little bit, it's shit to be Scottish. Oh man, we're, um, we're off to a promising start. But yeah, I mean football, it's cancelled in most places around the world this week. That there were still some games that went on. Mexico held games behind closed doors. Although today, Liga MX did announce that they are suspending the the league for the foreseeable future, very sensibly. It's weird watching matches behind closed doors, but games did go ahead in places as well in Europe, like Hungary and, and Russia. Down in Australia, Robbo's Newcastle Jets got another win. They're now unbeaten in four matches since Robbo took over and they've moved up to ninth in the table. So he's going to want the, the league not to get suspended. He's on a roll right now. But I mean, it's just, it's weird to see this. And in England, the English non-league is still going ahead. The National League, which is the the, the top tier of non-league football, the, the teams from that get promoted into the Football League. Their games rather bizarrely went ahead on Saturday. And obviously, with people not able to get to games elsewhere, the crowds were much bigger. The biggest one being just under 5,000 for a, a Notts County game. Absolutely craziness. They're saying they're not going to to stop having the games until the government tells them to say so. And there's some other non-leagues in England as well that's got fixtures scheduled for this week. But I mean, all in all, it's it's been weird. And we talked about games getting played behind closed doors. And it was weird to see. But that decision, rightly, has been for that not to happen. Because we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Because all it's done for the European games, is the ultras have turned out in force to congregate outside the stadium, which is defeating the whole purpose of it. Yeah, I, which I respect their dedication and stuff, but this doesn't feel like the best best decision um, and, and, and is definitely a good reason for the you know federation football federation authorities around the world to say let's just not have games as opposed to having the closed door, the closed door ones. Um uh, yeah, the, the games in Hungary, Russia, and and in Australia, they all had fans at them. Uh, I don't think the Hungary and Russia ones did. The Australian ones did. It hasn't gone. The virus hasn't gone down under yet. Well, try telling Tom Hanks that, because that's where he is just now quarantined. Oh, that's where he is. Oh, I yeah. Know he's there. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, uh, I know. I know he's got it, but I didn't know he was there. Yeah, he's well, down down Australia. So he's like he's like sixty. Right, sixty something. Yeah, that's that's he's on the getting towards the scary end of the yeah. vulnerability spectrum. One of the best things about that was the hospital staff gave him a painted Wilson volleyball. So he's got some <laughs> company for his isolation. So I thought that was a fantastic touch. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that either. That is really funny. But I mean, just the UK's reaction to it in general was stupid because you had on Thursday the football league were saying nope, or the Premier League rather were saying nope. We're not going to call any games off. We're going ahead with our Saturday schedule as normal. 
Then Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, comes down with it. And then on the Friday, all the games are called off. So it took something like that. Thursday night, 10,000 folk were packed into the darts in Liverpool, like crammed like sardines together. And then there was like 40-odd thousand at a Rangers game as well. So it's just been baffling. But thankfully, common sense has prevailed. And in some ways, I understand why the English non-league clubs went ahead because... A lot of the lower league clubs in Scotland and in England, they're going to be in financial peril because these games are called off. 43% of these clubs rely still on gate receipts to, to keep themselves afloat. So, I mean, this is a, some worrying times in football in that regard, and there, there could be some casualties from it. How come you haven't uh, hooked us up? Like, we need to sponsor one of these clubs. Get the AFD on the front of their kit and... I don't know about that. Like, East Fife's shirt sponsor runs into, like, the tens of thousands. I don't think we can afford that. We could maybe get a non-league club. Yeah, we got to do something about that. This is such a big opportunity for us. Yeah, well, I don't know about that because it's... Well, it's an opportunity, but charity That's begins a- at home and you've got to remember, part of my income comes from writing about football. So that's gone now. And the other part of my income... Oh comes from working on a casual basis, um, dealing with members of the public. So I'm not going to be having any income coming in. So good chance to remind people, if you really want to support AFTN and help us out, subscribe to our extra podcasts. $30 a year, $3 a month, toilet paper also accepted. And yeah, help support AFTN and make sure that I can still afford my internet connection to bring you all the stuff. Are you saying MLSsoccer.com is not going to let you write articles while there's no football happening? I don't think they would want the articles I'm writing. I mean, I've been quite prolific this week, but I don't think they want my coronavirus 11. (laughs) So that means when when you don't write for them, they don't give you money. We're just contributors. And in all seriousness, it's like freelancers is what runs the football journalism on the whole here in North America. So there's going to be a lot of guys in like some peril because they're not going to be having some salaries coming in. So, I mean, if you can support any of these sites, ourselves included in any way, it would be greatly appreciated by all. Sure. Wow, I mean, we've got a really serious start. This was meant to be a light-hearted thing. So, so let's get to that. Or let's try and get to that. Or at least as much as we can. Because a lot of this section is going to be about the, the coronavirus and... Not the virus itself, but kind of the impact it's having on football. And of course, one of the big ones, not here in North America, because we we don't go in for these things, is the promotion and relegation issues, especially in in leagues in Europe. And it, it's been it's been funny to see all the self-interests come out, especially over in the UK. West Ham's Karen Brady says that the season for her relegation threatened West Ham should be just suspended and declared null and void. So there's no relegation from the Premier League. Because if West Ham go down, that's a massive, massive blow for them, especially with their new stadium. In Scotland, Neil Lennon said it's ridiculous that they wouldn't just award Celtic the title because they've earned it, they're so far ahead. He said, even if go by points average, we win it on that as well. And it was a magnificent because he managed to come up with a system points average that would give Celtic the title and still relegate Hearts who is a team that he's not very popular with as an ex-Hibs manager. So good for Neil Lennon. But I mean, it's crazy, surely, to talk about not giving a club like Liverpool the title when they're so far ahead. And it's it's basically theirs in everything but officialness right now. 
Yeah, that's that's unfortunate for them if they don't if they don't get that if they don't get title number nineteen uh, because yeah they definitely earned it this year. But um, I mean, uh, obviously, I'm in a place where I'm okay if they. <laughs> they award the winner, the winner of the of the season based on where things are. Well, yeah, I was going to say, what about the Bundesliga? Do you think they will just crown Bayern champs, or could that be declared null and void? Yeah, they could. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of wanted it to end properly for Fonzie in his first full year. Yeah, but um, no, I mean, it. Uh, I'm just happy that Bayern is on top right now. If they weren't on top, I would be really frustrated. If, especially if the season does get like called, whether it, it's uh, you know given as an actual title or not, um, yeah. You, at least you're at least when you're in first, you know you you know you earned it, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean the thing with all this is there's so much up in the air because, I mean, with the situation right now, things are changing by the hour. It's not even by the day. It's like oh, things are so great. fast moving just in the world. And in the football world, I mean, we saw the domino effect from Wednesday night with the basketball to basically everything getting shut down by the time we're recording this on Sunday evening. And, I mean, there's a lot of decisions to be had. And in Europe, they've got the decisions, do they just wait it out and see how long this takes? Do they restart the leagues in the summer? Do they then delay the the start of the following season till maybe November, December time, maybe even going into next year? And, and, the, and the aforementioned Euro. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. I mean, the, there's no way the Euros are going ahead. So, I mean, it's going to get pushed to 2021. Because you've yeah, still got well, qualification I'm... matches to, like Scotland, where we're up for qualifying. So you've got to get them played first. But, I mean, there's, there's been a lot of silliness and a lot of self-interest, as I mentioned, about all, all what's going to happen. And who would have thought the voice of reason in a lot of this would have been Wayne Rooney? The, the fat granny shagger? Not a guy known for for his wisdom, but he started writing a column for the, the Sunday Times today and stuff that he wrote in this column was absolutely spot on and I, he's really gone up in my estimation. He'd gone up in my estimation for his support of MLS players as well and just how he conducted himself in MLS and his support of the league. But I mean, he came out today and said that basically the Premier League had been using players as guinea pigs for the coronavirus. So he was glad that common sense had kind of been seen. He also talked about just wait and restart and finish these leagues in something like maybe July, August, September time and use this as an opportunity to prepare for the 2022 World Cup because it's going to be getting played in the winter. It was going to disrupt these European leagues. This now gives these leagues a chance to plan for that and actually get their schedules in a way that's going to be perfect for the the 2022 Qatar World Cup. Yes, you might have some issues after that, or it might just mean that football in general changes to to different schedules, and maybe the MLS schedule that's been poo-pooed for a lot of years and folk are always wanting MLS to change it, maybe that is going to be the way ahead for for a lot of places, and you're going to get summer football around the world. Okay, hang on, hang on. You said this was an article? Yeah, he's got a column now in the Sunday Times. So you're saying, I didn't know that Wayne Rooney could actually write. Well, I'm not not saying he necessarily got a pen and wrote it. He might have dictated it. But it was a very good column, and I, I do recommend folks check it out. A lot of good stuff coming from him. And this really is a good opportunity for leagues to look at this 2022 World Cup and, and how they can maybe get prepared for it. 
Yeah, but the, the only problem is they get so they'll do it for a year or two, go to the World Cup and then switch back. Like, is it, well, they could I mean, do. Or they, I mean, they they the could World keep Cup. it like this. But you're not. But no, the World Cup's got to be in. It's not only going to be in hot, crazy hot places or whatever. Or when you know, like eventually they're going to want to have a World Cup like in Europe again. Or twenty twenty six in Montreal. Right, and you don't want to do that in December. Well, this Montreal will be in the stadium. Yeah. But, and if Vancouver gets reinstituted, instituted also be in a dome, not staying in a dome. Yeah, um, although Van- Vancouver, as far as we know, we're not going to be at the table of the World Cup discussions in Toronto on Thursday, but maybe they kept that one quiet. Hopefully. Hopefully they can overturn one of the biggest errors of Canadian football in our time. Actually, there's a lot of errors. Yeah, I know, that's not narrowing <laughs> down. We'll do a flash five of that later on when, yeah, when we're trying yeah, to fill some podcast time. That's what, that's what we're going to miss from Steve this episode. A flash five on worst Canadian football uh, decisions, from the, especially from a federation or from a political standpoint. I'll get him to record two years of flash five so we can get some stuff done. <laughs> He'll be spent after that. He'll not be able to be fit for anything. But... One of my favourite tweets that I saw this week came from the, the Scottish uh, website Pie and Bovril. Obviously, true to our diet, can't live without Pie and Bovril in Scottish football. And they just tweeted about how crazy it was that, their words, a Chinese boy could eat a bat, and it leads to the cancellation of Elgin City against Brecon. Wise words indeed. It is crazy, though, to think that something happens so far away and it just decimates just the game the world over it's like the butterfly effect or you could even say the butterfly effect <laughs> <laughs> but oh, man. here in North America MLS suspended the, the league I wasn't sure what was going to happen I mean Steve and me had been chatting during the week we'd taken the decision we weren't going to go at the, the game on Saturday anyway we just didn't think it was worth the risk but eventually MLS did announce that the league was suspended they have only done it for 30 days, though, and not indefinitely. But you've got to think it's it's going to be a lot longer than that, especially with news coming out tonight. The CDC have, have said that they're recommending no gatherings of over 50 people for two months. So that takes you into mid-May. So this is a long time before MLS is, is going to be back or football is going to be back at all. Yeah, the, I mean, this news does shape that. I, to be honest, I didn't mind that uh, the way MLS came out with this and said, hey, let's do 30 days and we'll see where we're at. Because um, then you don't... Uh, I think with where things were out on Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was a fine approach. Now we're, whatever, four days later, five days later, and it's like, okay, like we said before, all this is really rapidly moving. And so you, you it's hard to see this 30 days... Of being uh, be, not being more than that. Yeah, I mean the the White Caps were were going to be back at training on Monday, but that's now been suspended for all MLS teams to at least March twentieth. But you have to think if it's going to be at least two months, just give the players the time off, tell them to keep fit at home, doing whatever they can, maybe get them to come into the training center just in 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 pairs or or threes or fours, just so they can stay apart from each other and use the gym stuff like that. But yeah. Yeah, because you don't want them going out and training anywhere else. No, no, definitely. And a, a lot of folk won't have stuff at home that they need to, to keep super fit either. No, and, but you also don't want to send some of them like back to where they're from because some of them are from places where things are even worse than they have been here so far. Yeah. True. Mm. But, I mean, I, I think the suspension, 
from a selfish point of view, actually works fantastically for the Whitecaps because it gives them a chance to get all their guys here, get them all up to match fitness. We were going to be missing key personnel. We were going to have one hell of a start to the season. The first 10 games, as we've talked about, were so tough for the Whitecaps. These games now probably aren't going to be what our schedule is. So this actually makes the Whitecaps be in a much better position. Yeah, but um, yeah, we'll see how it all breaks down. Well, yeah, because obviously we don't know, like, I mean, there's going to be different scenarios and it's way too early to look into them in great detail. But if you look at the league maybe not returning till, say, the, the summer or maybe even early fall, it's going to be a curtailed season. It might just be games against Western Conference teams. They might just have it as a kind of cup competition Puttle it down in the east, puttle it down in the west, and get them to play each other. There's lots of ways that things could get done, but I mean the Whitecaps, I, I do genuinely feel will be in a, a stronger position than they would have been. Yeah, yeah. Although the only thing about that is, yeah, I mean if it was like a you know every team in the league involved in a knockout competition, that would be kind of interesting. But um, it, if they have, only have to play Western Conference rivals i mean this year it feels like the west is a lot better than the, than the east yeah i mean that's going to be it. tough yeah but at the same time i've got some WestJet travel bank money that i have to use up by september for a cancelled trip that i had and right now i don't see me using it so lots of travel to the west i'd be up for that yeah actually i too now have some, some money with an airline that i have to use in the next year well, I'm just glad that you didn't go on your trip. We were joking about you going viral last week, so at least that was taken out of your hands and everything's gone right. good for you. So, I mean, that's that's good. But, I mean, talking of the Whitecaps, I mean, what have you thought of their response to, to this so far? They're giving daily updates on their website, which I think has been fantastic. I think they've done really well at that. There was a little bit of a, a tweet storm on Thursday night where a, a front office member had apparently advised a season ticket holder that things were getting a little bit overblown and there was no need to worry and Mark Panis the the Whitecaps new CEO I thought dealt with it fantastically on Thursday night and then dealt with it by by having a press conference rather weirdly with members of the the media there but I mean that's what everyone is doing just now but it it was just kind of ironic but I mean it was a great response from Panis but I mean what what did you make of all that situation? Yeah I mean I saw. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not one of those people who's on Twitter all the time. So I am. I'm not engaged in all the conversations there, or you know, even some of the important ones there. However, however, you know how Twitter gives you those. Oh, someone. You should look at this conversation someone's having. Those little reminders or little things. Yeah. To point you towards. In case you missed it, kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so one came up in one of my timelines um, where I. Where I was like, oh, I'm going to read this, whatever. And it was this individual saying, hey, my, I have a, my sister, my, my relative or whatever. Is a, she works in the, in the healthcare system in, in, B, in BC or whatever. And this is the interaction that she had with the Whitecaps front office. So you had this like person on the inside of, of, of uh, with a more of a better understanding of the coronavirus and what's happening and not happening, what's true, what's not true, than you and I will probably ever have. Um, and anyways, they had this encounter with the front office, where the front office basically, one of the individuals working in the front office uh, basically said, you know, the, the, the there's some overhype in the media. And again, I don't, I, I don't necessarily take that huge of an issue in terms of like an individual from the front office expressing 
their opinion on something. Well, yeah, because they could they could also have picked stuff up wrong from the briefing that they had. Yes, yes, which it sounds like they did. Yeah, but it's, it's not it's not necessarily having a different opinion. It's how you communicate that opinion and how you engage with other people who have a differing opinion than you. Uh, and so, all, like all those things together, that whole if you read that whole thread, you were just like, yeah. This this is this is this is crazy. So I started to tweet about it, saying like, "Yeah, this is what it is to deal with the FO in a nutshell. Like, this is who they are. This is how they act. This is a this is a this is a, a great sample of what many people had to deal with and how many people feel about them. At least in my experience in the supporter community with friends and people who have talked to me about their experiences and whatnot. Um, and so I was tweeting about that as like, you know, I kind of I, I think I tweeted something like, you know, to me this sounds um, I might be wrong." You know, I'm always willing to say I might be wrong. I might have this wrong, but this felt like peak Whitecaps. Like this was like how they handled this was like textbook for my experiences in the last decade or more. Um, and so then some people were having some conversations and, and asking questions and making their comments or whatever. And then, um, uh, well, we can call him friend of the show, good good fellow, oh, yes. who we've known for a long time, a Surrey cider, uh, Andrew Delbar also from the Fraser Valley. Um, uh, he just tweeted at me with Panis's response to it all. And so this was all happening almost in like real time, right? Like this tweet went out, I got this thing, and then I started engaging with it within an hour of it going out. And then like Panis's thing came out with like le- within like less than two hours of this all happening. So here's the dude at like, you know, nine o'clock at night you know, this executive at nine o'clock at night who's not like saying, oh yeah, we'll deal with that tomorrow when we go in the office or whatever. He was like, his response was like immediate and like, uh, and, and he, and the thing he did, which for me was so remarkable, uh, which it, it, this might sound very simple. And so you might ask, how can you find it so remarkable? And the reason I find it so remarkable is I've never seen this like before from anyone in in the White Caps front office in the last decade and a half, um, the dude just held up his hand and said he di- he didn't want to hide anything. He actually quoted the thread and said, "Please read this. We yep. got this wrong. Yep. Here's a mistake we've made. Everyone needs to see the mistake. I don't want to hide it. I don't want. What, I want everyone to know this is what this is what's being said about what we've done, and th- this is not right." And we we will be better. And those the whole we will be better might sound trite coming from a, an executive in a in a sports organization, but with this dude, you you get the sense that he means it. Oh yeah. And obviously, obviously, time will tell. And obviously, you know, it's it's the right kind of thing for him to say. But so far, what he said, how he said it, his engagements with the media, his engagements publicly, his, his engagements with people on social media, point to point to him being a genuine person who cares, not just about his job and the bottom line, but he actually cares about people and he cares about what he's doing and he wants it to be done well, not just so it goes on his resume and looks nice because he wants, he wants the Whitecaps to be quality. And... Uh, and them to be a quality organization in everything they do and does not want to um, sweep things away from the limelight or doesn't want to hide things from people or whatever. He wants everyone to be able to see what their mistakes are, own them, and then move forward, which having dealt with people in the front office for many years, that is not that is the opposite of their approach. And, Michael, I think you know this in your own kind of way. Oh, yeah. Whenever something's wrong or do- doesn't paint them in the best light, they do all they can 
to get it out of the spotlight, to get it away from people's eyes, away from people's attention, so that no one knows about the mistake that was made, whether it was good intention or bad or whatever, because they only want good things to be said about them, which is totally understandable in one sense. Well, yeah, I mean, I think most businesses are going to be like that, but it it was remarkable. I, I admired him so much for saying, you all need to read this, and we got it wrong. I mean, to come out and do that, we talked last week about he's a breath of fresh air, and it's like, I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, and, and so I, I, that's what I said on Twitter. I said, like, this is the, the first time in, a, in uh, I can, the first time in the MLS era where I actually think there's actually hope for the Whitecaps as an organization. Um, because I think under his leadership, and that's what he, that's what he's demonstrating. He's demonstrating leadership. Whereas most of what's happened from Whitecaps executives and other people within the front office over the years has not been leadership. It's what I, I think I said on Twitter. It's, they they have a reaction chip. They don't mm-hmm. need in anything. They just react to situations. They don't they don't actually they only they only respond when they see something going wrong or when they hear enough complaints about something. Then they they react to it or they respond to it. Where with with Panis, you get the sense of he's actually going to be able to lead some change for them as an organization. Yeah, I mean it's it's all so promising. It was it was great to see and. I, I do think, in general, the Whitecaps are, have done very well uh, around this this outbreak. And obviously, they're limited at first as what they can do and what they can announce because so much of it's done centrally from from MLS. I really liked that uh, they donated the, the players' food and meals oh, yeah. from, from Saturday to, to the local food bank. I mean, that was fantastic. You were talking at, at the start of the show about the, the people that's trying to help the local food bags and stuff as well. So it was great to see that the Whitecaps do that and hopefully yeah. other sports organisations do similar stuff. Well, just even in the, in the press conference he had the next day after the, this Twitter inter- encounter, he just said, look, we, this morning at 6am or whatever, whatever their meeting was or whatever, he's like, we, we came up with new protocols for how we're going to handle this. And just so everyone knows, this is what's going to happen. We're going to give updates every day at whatever it was, like 11am and 5pm. And we're going to give our updates on what's going on with us as an organization as it relates to, to COVID-19. Yep. Which, which again, th- these things are not rocket science. These are not earth-shattering. They might seem really simple, but I think they're really meaningful. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, we, we've given the, the Caps a lot of flack on this show over the years when it's like you have to give credit where credit's due. And mm-hmm. it's like I just think they've been excellent in, in their handling like this. And there's a few other sports organizations in North America and businesses in North America that might want to to have a look at how you handle a situation like that and when you've made an error how you then deal with it yeah and, and, and then I mean this whole thing is like we've said I think is this is we're at the beginning of this oh yeah like this, I, don't, I don't think this is getting better really quickly well I mean they're talking the peak could be me and it's like if if things south of the border if they don't get their ass in gear especially at airports and stuff, uh, if anyone saw the pictures from O'Hare and Dallas airports on Saturday night, where you, they're just crowding everyone that's been travelling together, it's like a bit of common sense. I mean, everyone's waiting for this to grow. We're lucky, really, in BC just now that it hasn't hit too, too hard. But you you, you certainly can't expect it not to. And if anyone thinks, oh, no, we, we've dodged it so far, we'll be fine. It's It's going to hit here sooner rather than later. Yeah, and I mean, it already has. I mean, uh, yeah, but I mean, hit it in like a, in a big, big, yeah, in a big, big way. I mean, you just have to look down at what's happening, the scary stuff down in, in King County and roundabout Seattle. Yeah. 
And yeah, but yet folk are still yeah. going over the border to, to get their cheap groceries and pick up stuff from their mailboxes. Yeah, I saw, actually, I saw our, our good friend Butch, uh, SAFC uh, Yank. Uh, do you remember, you remember? Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah, so so Butch made a post on, on his Facebook account the other day. He, was, he did not like the, uh, was it the health, was Adrian Dix, the health minister's comment of like, the whole yeah, going across the border for milk, and then you got to be self isolation for yeah. two days. He felt felt that was a little bit uncalled for at this time. But um, so not to speak negatively towards Butch, because I really appreciate Butch. But I do think people need to take like they need, people need to be accountable for their actions, and they need to. This is a real opportunity for people in society to uh, really think about others before themselves in one sense, right? Like not, not not to the detriment of your own health, but in terms of like your actions, if you, if you pick up this thing and you go out and you infect other people, like that can be lethal for other people. Absolutely. So you, you need to put other people's, uh, health, uh, and, 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 and risk and all that ahead of your own. Well, yeah. Cause um, you, by, like by you, you could be in a coffee shop problem. with someone or a bar or a restaurant and you don't know what's wrong with that person. You don't know if they've got asthma or diabetes or if they've yeah. got like kidney issues or anything like that. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. So, we, I mean, we saw, you know, uh, Seattle is what we said. It's down to, uh, I mean, bars and restaurants are closed in Seattle now because yeah. they because they, they, they don't want this to get any, any worse. They're trying to keep it from getting worse, which they, they might, it might be. Too, too, they would be too far on the curve or whatever they, whatever the language is. Yeah, um, that would be too, too far down the road for the for to prevent it from getting worse in the moment. And like, I mean, again, there's all kinds of different conversations about this that you know I'm maybe not the right person to comment on them, but like, lots of a number of people I've I've heard basically saying um, a number of articles I've read or whatever basically saying that it's not a matter like 50 to 70 percent of the world will get this at some point, but what you do by slowing the spread of it the immediate spread of it is you allow your healthcare system to not be like uh, crushed by oh, it. Yes. everyone gets it at the same time and then all the workers get it and then you're in a you're in a really bad spot for a really significant period of time so it's not it's not like if you're going to get it but it's like everyone getting it at the same time is a it makes the problem even like exponentially worse again i probably shouldn't be commenting on these things but um yeah i, I would just say if you're a fan of football and you want football to get back quicker Stay in your homes. Because, I mean, like we talked about MLS, the CPL preseason has been suspended yes. for at least two weeks. Then there's no way the season's going to start in time. No. You've got the the heartbreaking cancellations. I mean, you knew it was coming. And, I yeah. mean, we talked last week in the show, I didn't want to go over on a ferry and stuck with lots of people because you, you, you can't stay in your car. They've even closed the buffet on the ferry. That was one of the safest places to be because the tables were so far apart from each other. But no, it's like then just cram everyone on the one deck. But yeah, the, the heartbreaking news that the two Canada games against Trinidad and Tobago on the island, I mean, everyone was so excited for that. It was such a big thing to, to get back the national team on the island. They've been cancelled at the end of this month. The women's game against Australia at BC Place, it's been cancelled next month. And right decisions, obviously, but I mean, just the hard work that's gone into it, the excitement that's gone into it. You've got the Olympic qualifiers that's been cancelled. It's just just hard. Yeah, and nothing's been decided on Japan twenty twenty yet, though, right? No, the, the I mean the the Olympics folk. The yesterday on Saturday they were talking that he says it's still going ahead. 
like that we're our Olympics are going ahead, and it's like I think you need a little bit of sense of reality here. Do you want the world traveling to your country, even if you've got a grip of it that it's okay for you to have it because Japan's okay if you've managed to control it by then? Do you want the world on your doorstep that's got all this? As long as they're not all traveling there via cruise ship. <laughs> you probably should be okay. True. No, I should. I shouldn't joke with that. I'm, thank, I'm thankful I'm not getting on a cruise ship this Saturday. Yeah. To be. <laughs> There's going to be some good deals going there. Yeah, yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. They, they offered to upgrade us to like a better room or something. <laughs> but actually, actually, they've actually cancelled the ship. The, the cruise is now cancelled or whatever. Yeah, I, I would have expected that. I mean, obviously, this is forcing like websites, podcasts, TV shows. To, to find different ways to entertain people and to bring you content. It's forcing clubs as well to, to find unique ways to do stuff. And just to end this section, we've got to talk about the fantastic win for the Whitecaps on Saturday afternoon. They beat Colorado Rapids 4-0, I'm calling it, in a Connect 4 tournament that they had on Twitter. Very well done by, by both teams. And, I mean, obviously for the next 20 minutes, we're going to break down the, the match for, for our listeners. And I uh, yeah, enjoyed your match report. You're having a lot of fun with this. Oh, it just came to me and it just flowed. I really enjoyed writing it and I might, it might do a few more things of that. And it's got a really good reaction as well. I would like to take on the, the Caps, you know, uh, Twitter people or, or FO people in the Connect Four. I mean, what what we have to say about it is it was very aggressive from the Caps from the word go. I mean, they went right down the middle and then yeah, they, they yeah. did a high press throughout. They kept the pressure on Colorado. It kept them on the back foot. And whether it was just like panic by Colorado or by that point they were just bored out of their head or they knew they weren't <laughs> going to win, they gave that game away to the Caps. I mean, they, they played a disc that was clearly setting the White Caps up for victory. But, I mean, yeah. you've, you've got to take the chances. I mean, I think Cav has shown us that, that if yeah. you don't take your chances, you're punished, and the Whitecaps took not, it fantastically. It was not Cav dropping the little chip disc down the, the hole on that one. No. I mean, were, were you surprised that Freddie Montero didn't get into the game? Is that more telling of where his future lies in the Connect Four Whitecaps world? <laughs> well, you figure it's a good game to have at your coffee shop. Oh, yeah. Although not during COVID nineteen. Well, no, he he's still up here just now because obviously he can't go down oh, to his yeah, coffee shop because if he comes back, he's meant to quarantine for fourteen days. I wonder if his coffee shop is closed. I guess is it a restaurant? It's not a bar or a restaurant, technically. Mm. You, you've been there. It's sort of restaurant. restaurant yeah, restaurant. I mean, it's a really fancy coffee shop, and they serve nice food and stuff. But yeah. And like, just in all seriousness about that, to get back to a, a serious thing, support local businesses. That's what I was trying to do yeah. on Friday. I, I tweeted out, I had a doctor's appointment and afterwards I was like going along kits along Broadway and I went into some smaller independent retailers and some small local chains. And that's what to do just now because these are the businesses that will struggle. Yeah. Big stores like Walmart and Superstore, they'll get by. But like you're... you're Cobb's Bread, your Solly's Bakery, your Storm City Coffee that I went into, these are the ones that, that do need your support just now if they are even allowed to stay open. I, I don't know if Superstore will survive. The Superstore out here, they had to have the police come and like help in the parking lot. I think, oh, I, when I arrived, I, I had to go and get some stuff and I, I wait until 10.30 on, on Thursday night to go and get it. 
And when I got there, there was place all over the place. And I was like, oh, my God, what has happened? But it turned out it was just a shoplifter. Oh, I, I, I don't know what he shoplifted because the shelves were empty. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but anyway, that that's it for this part. Uh, well, yeah, is, there, is there no other cap news? Well, I, oh, I guess there, there was a little bit this week. We're, we're not getting our dong. A little ding-dong? Well, well. F- first of all, like the, the Korean player Dong has decided to to stay in Korea because he wants to stay with the team he's got. They're ambitious. He wants to take them to the top flight and show that they can be a force in, in Champions League in Asia and then earn a, a move to Europe. So that's fine. So that that's, that's fair enough. The second division Korean club has more ambition than the Whitecaps. You're putting those words in his mouth. I did not hear him say that. Oh, okay. I'm just trying to clarify what you just said. Yeah, but I mean, maybe Inbom didn't sell the move to him or something. I, I I don't know, but I mean, he's he's. I like loyalty in a player, so I can't actually fault him for that. But then, um, JJ Adams spoke to to Axel Schuster, and Schuster made the interesting comment that they're not actively looking to add to the squad in the next transfer window, or maybe even the one after that. Yeah, which, okay. You can what take with that, that. Well, you can take that, that one of two ways. That can either mean they're happy with the squad and they're not making any additions, which I'm not hopefully taking it that way. Or the other thing is they've got all their deals and the players that they want to add signed, sealed, and delivered, so they know who they're adding. So there's no point to look for it anymore. Either way, it's a kind of weird but thing still, to say. Exactly. It's it's a really really awkward. It's like it's like that's his, one of his like primary jobs. This is not actual sir. <laughs> Him saying, like, yeah, that one thing I'm supposed to do a lot of, yeah, I'm not going to do it for the next couple of... Well, he did say he was also going to build up the scouting department, oh, but then if they're not no, scouting right, yeah, players... Then that needs to be done. That's also yeah. on his, uh, his job description or whatever. But to say, like, hey, we're not actively looking in the next two windows, that can, that can be misunderstood very, very easily. I know. I think it was maybe a little bit badly worded, but, I mean, we'll, we're going to have a lot of shows to fill. We're going to get Axel on. We'll hopefully get Mark Panis on. Still get some player in interviews person? done. Gonna, I, I I don't know about in person. I, I apart from walking my dog, I really don't want to leave the house right now. But well, as soon as we're allowed human contact again, we, I would love to be a part of the sit down with Ben. Oh, definitely. But also, I mean, I'm not not leaving the house because of the coronavirus. I'm just quite antisocial, and I've got a lot <laughs> lot of TV shows to catch up on. So. Hey, have you been building any Lego? Not yet, but this is oh, a great yeah. opportunity to build all the presents that you've given me. You've used my T-shirts I gave you as toilet paper? No, no, no. There's still time. Hey. <laughs> but you, no, and also, all, in all seriousness, no, I do have found, um, I have come across uh, some of the, uh, let's say, at least the accompaniments to, I think, your Christmas gift for next year. Oh. I'm all, I'm all ready. Excellent. Not all ready. I'm mostly ready. So, I mean, how are you filling your time then with, with no football to watch? This is actually very good for, good for me because I have um, I have a bunch of uh, a number of assignments that I need to do uh, for work right now for my ordination process, and so um, I'm trying to fill it with that. <laughs> Not today, mind you. Uh, some other things came up today, but um, it, yeah. In general, these next couple of weeks are going to be pretty intensive. Uh, writing some papers and uh, doing some preparation for that. Well, that's good. I mean, I, I threw that question out on Twitter just to see what some oh, yeah. of our, our listeners, and we got a really, really good response from this. So I want to rattle through as many of these as I can. 
Greg Petrie at Our Dumb World said, Thinking about learning how to play football manager. I remember it's more complex than I want. Not playing football manager. Gideon Hill said, FIFA, career mode. Angus Walker. He says he's just anticipating the joy of seeing the tears in the eyes of all those Liverpool fans when the season is declared null and void. Harsh Angus. Oz Sweeney. His plans are to play with his dog, watching Scrubs and going through the 007s, playing Mario Brothers, reading and working out a prisoner workout programme. Good to keep fit in times like this, just in case you do have to run away fast from a cough or a coughing person. Phil McCracken. He plans on painting new two sticks and railing banners for when we get back. He's a member of the Rain City Brigade. Arne Campbell. He's just going to work. Spend some time with the kids and video games. Christina at Mudcree. She's going to keep working on her Rangers voodoo dolls. This charming man, he's going to be playing football manager. Watch some classic games on YouTube. And there's some really good games on there. And we're maybe looking to do a couple of things with our YouTube channel as well. So watch out for that. Alex from Between the Sticks. He said he's caught up in a fair bit of sleep, so he can't complain about that. After that, he's going to be catching up on games like Canada beating the US and both legs of the CPL finals. Also, other alternative methods of football consumption. The Villager says, playing FIFA 20 Ultimate Team in career mode with the Whitecaps. He also might pick up and read a good soccer book. We're going to be mentioning this later on the on the show as well, but that is something we'll be bringing you some of our recommendations for you on AFTN.ca. Tim Altman at Progio one He's going to be catching up on Netflix, his list is full, and playing Gran Turismo with his son. Some walks and bike rides in between when we need a break. Also some spring cleaning if he gets inspired. I've definitely got some plans for doing some spring cleaning as well. And I want to try and get out and enjoy a little bit of nature as well. Because you can't just be stuck in the house. Just make sure that you don't get too close to people. Just obviously be careful as you're doing it. But having a dog, it's going to be nice to try to get out. Perfect time to drive down to the Oregon coast and, and get my dog out in the beaches there. If it wasn't for the fact I'd have to quarantine for 14 days when I get back. Sebastian Pereira says he's going to grind out a classic FIFA career mode with Southampton. Can't wait. Jay San at Rattigan Can. He's going to be watching old PVR'd World Cup and Whitecaps games. A little bit of video gaming and, if I can get my VCR working, old 86er games. Maybe even all four championship wins. Now that would be fantastic. And if you've got any ability to stick those up on YouTube, that would be even better. Then we can all enjoy that. Kevin Julu, probably murdered your name, Kev. I'm really sorry about that. He's going to rewatch Canada beat the US. Warren Andrews at some underscore sports guy. He started watching Juventus first team on Netflix. I don't follow Serie A, so it's all brand new to me. Not nearly as entertaining as the Maradona in Mexico series, which was amazing. Now, as I talked about a couple of weeks ago, we've just got access to Netflix, so I'm hoping to catch up on some stuff there. I'll check that out. I hadn't heard of that. That sounds fascinating. I know about Sunderland Till I Die. I've seen the first episode of that. So I'll be probably watching that as well. Mike W at Wardy1700. He just says he's going to be watching the fights at my local Costco and Walmart. And oh boy, it's going to be a lot more of those to come. Fully aroused as going with FIFA. Dennis Molag is football manager all the way, as well as refreshing Twitter every 30 seconds. 
Chris Salish C86 says the zone is showing some classic matches, so he's going to take some of those in. He might get football manager for his phone. And Russell Beresford, squad player, he's just downloaded the full football manager, replacing Mourinho at Spurs. Well done, Russell. That's not a job you want to have, though. Chris Withers is finally digging into Sunderland Till I Die on Netflix. He had episode one on as he was tweeting that. Craig Burgart, he's playing video and board games, jigsaw puzzles and reading. Some nice relaxing stuff there. And D Porter at area underscore resident. He's currently looking up the career stats of Titus Bramble. Why? Because Spurs vs Wigan from 2009 is on DAZN. I think this break that we're all having is going to force us all to watch some weird and wonderful things. I'm looking forward to it. So, a lot of interesting stuff there. A lot of folk playing football manager and FIFA. I actually bought football manager on Friday. I've downloaded it. It's the first time I'm going to have played the game since the 1990s. I think it's a little bit different from when I played it, but Um, I'm looking forward to it. Hang on. As someone who uh, has the uh, opportunity to connect with people around the health of their marriage, (laughs) (laughs) have you talked to Caitlin about this? No. Um, Yeah, I mean, my, my biggest fear is that she's going to have to work from home. That's going to eat into my football manager time. Oh, man. But anyway, on that note, I think that's it for this part. Zach is going to join us in part four for some more fun stuff. But we're going to be back after the break with a chat with one of our favourites on the show. Philadelphia Inquirer's Jonathan Tannenwald. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. to change then it always does if something has to change then it always does you don't need this disease not right now no you don't need this disease not right now Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. Editors there with a song from 2005, Bullets, from their debut album, The Back Room. So it's been an absolutely crazy week in the world of football. Well, the world in general, really. As we talked about there in the first part, football shut down the world over. Football in North America has certainly been hit hard. Liga MX announcing today that they are shutting down the, the league for now as well in light of the coronavirus pandemic. MLS suspended for 30 days, although you know it's going to be a lot more. USL also on suspension. CPL suspending pre-season training for their clubs. CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament cancelled. Canada's men's friendlies against Trinidad and Tobago and Victoria cancelled. The women's national team game against Australia cancelled in April here at BC Place. It's been a fast-changing week. There's been a lot happening. There's still, you feel, going to be a lot more happening in the coming weeks, coming months as well. No one really knows how long this is going to go on for, really. 
So to talk about all that and a lot more, we're delighted to be joined on the phone by good friend of the show, Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And in this part, we're, we're going to just chat a little bit about the, the shutdown in, in football. And then we're going to speak to Jonathan in the next part as well about what's been happening in, in US soccer away from the coronavirus this week. But always a pleasure to have you on the show, Jonathan. You're welcome. As you know, I call in even when I have things to do, which I now don't. So. Yeah, well, I guess let's start up with that. It's like as a, as a journalist, you cover sports. What, what has it been like for you this week? And I mean, what, what concerns do you have moving forward just about the industry that was already in a, a bit of a mess as it was? There are definitely a lot of people who work in my business who are worried that, you know, oh my God, they don't have anything to do right now. Therefore, you know, their lives are meaningless and what are they going to do and so on and this, that and the other, blah, 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 you know? I'm not that because this is more important than any of that. Yeah. Um, and I've lived through, this is going to sound really grave and awful, I've, because I grew up in Washington, D.C., like, I've lived through terrorism before. I've lived through, you know, big stuff before. And it, it does give you that sort of immediate sense of perspective of knowing, no, it's okay that we're not writing about sports for a little while. You know, a place that's smart is going to pay its people have them work on other things, you know, and contribute, and then go back to writing about sports when the sports come back. Now, when are the sports going to come back? I have no idea. And there's a whole lot of reasons why I have no idea, some of which I would get in trouble if I said on air, you know, so people can guess where I'm going with that. Yeah. And you can say them after I hang up the phone. <laughs> um, but, you know, I went to Red Bull Arena last weekend to watch the U.S. women's game. You know, there were 25,000 people there. The odds are decent by their nature that I am carrying it around. Yeah, because I know... I'm not going to know that unless it breaks out in me. It's weird to say yeah. that, you know? Well, I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing about it just now. There's, there's so much uncertainty. And with that uncertainty, that fuels panic. And then once folks start panic buying and, and everything like that... Yeah, well, I, I was going to ask you, like, what's what's it like in Philly? Because we, like, up here we get the Canadian stuff, and we know what's happening in Washington State, but Philadelphia, unless you go and seek out the news, you don't really see what's happening. So I, I did, I read the Inquirer, and it, the Inquirer's been fan, fantastic, like, the coverage that, that you've had, and it's really, really tremendous journalism that you guys are doing. But for those that haven't seen it, what what's it been like in the Philly area? Are people going crazy buying toilet paper like they are up here? Oh, yes. Absolutely. I don't understand it. <laughs> well, I, look, we don't do a very good job down here of stopping people from being afraid. True. We haven't for a long time, you know? That's nothing new. At the same time, there are people who say, oh, I have nothing to be afraid of. I'm going to go out and go to a bar with 30 million other people. And, you know, heaven knows how it's getting transmitted around at that point close quarters and everybody is just screaming at the top of their lungs stay home stay home and some of us don't have significant others dogs kids backyards etc you know so i don't think the screaming in any direction does anybody any good but i'm also not leaving my apartment building for you know a good while now and I'm trying not to get too close proximity in the elevator 
because this thing is highly communicable and there is no vaccine and there are just about no tests because it's impossible to get a test for, again, reasons that if I went to in too much depth on your show, I would get yelled at by my bosses. So you can guess what they are. Yeah. Yeah. We, we won't go into that, but I think we all know. And it's like we're lucky up here and that apparently there are lots of testings and, and stuff available. But, I mean, if, if we kind of move on a little bit to the football side, because I guess we are a, a football podcast, maybe in weeks to come we'll turn into more of a a social society podcast. But for now, we're we're trying to have some kind of normality. So we're we're wanting to, to keep doing our stuff and... In, in a lot of ways, for a weird show like ours, this falls into our wheelhouse because we're good at, at filling airtime when there's not actual games to talk about. But it's been such a weird week in football. It's been such a fast-moving week in football. As you talked about, just like days ago, you're attending matches. And then all of a sudden it's like there's discussion, are the games going to be behind closed doors? And then it's... Everything happened in the NBA, it had the domino effect, MLS is called off, USL is called off, CPL pre-season training up here has been put on hold. Just learning today that it looks like MLS clubs will not have at least any training even until at least Friday of, of this coming week. But, I mean, just what's your take on how this past week has kind of played out? Look, I wasn't thrilled when they shut the locker rooms, but at this point... In hindsight, it was obviously the right decision. Yeah. And I think the decision to not play is probably the right one. Um, you know, it's obviously it's tough to stomach for a lot of people, and I get that. But the, the, the number one advice, and I look, I initially thought it was all being overcooked. And I remember having this conversation what, with Manuel Veth when he was over in New York yeah. at the end of February where we thought the heat was going to kill the virus and that was going to be the end of it. Well, it's not so simple now. And I certainly I, I certainly have not been, you know, retroactively judging against anybody because then we're all going to be doing that to each other and there's no point in it. Yeah. But it's... It, 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 when the number one advice that, that the medical community is giving is do not have mass gatherings. Then the answer is do not have mass gatherings. And sports are mass gatherings, by and large. Yeah. So I haven't really got any better ideas than that. Well, I mean, MLS, a lot of leagues, they've suspended it indefinitely. And like over in Europe, it looks like the season there is going to be decimated. And there's a lot of talk going around about how they're going to remedy those situations, promotion, relegation, everything like that. Now, in many ways, MLS has been fortunate because we're only two weeks into the season. So there's not, it's not really got to the business end. If they, if we are able to get back to some kind of normality in the summer or maybe even in the fall, it, something could happen to, to crown a... This is, this is one of the things that, I'm sorry to cut you off, but this, I, I want to zero in on two specific points here. One about Europe and one about MLS. The one about Europe pertains to England. And it is, it is this, functionally. I get that there are things to sort out with relegation and promotion, with clubs that might go out of business because they need, you know, small clubs that might go out of business because they need match day revenue, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. 
One of the things that I have seen, and I'm sure you have too, is that somehow Liverpool winning the Premier League title is not going to be legitimate. I'm sorry, they're winning by 25 points in yeah. the league. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not a Liverpool fan. I don't particularly like them, but you can't not give them the title. Right. The rest of it, this is where, if you actually care that much, if you actually care that much, then you say, yeah, we're going to take some more of that Sky money and all the BT money and everybody and the money that Manchester United is sitting on because they're sitting on it, that's for sure, even though they spent, they tried to spend a lot of it on Bruno Fernandes, but they're still sitting on plenty, and you're going to up the solidarity payments in the names of keeping the sport in business. And somebody's got to force that from over the top, and you'd think the people to do that are the FA, and of course it's going to be a revolt. When that happens, then it's going to be another ugly scene. About MLS, two things. One, you're right. Even if, if they shut down for a month and a half, they'll live, you know? It's probably not just going to be 30 days. It's going to be longer than that, but yeah. they'll live. And if they shorten the season, that has happened in American sports before, and generally people have not complained in the long run. They haven't. Now, it is also true that MLS teams are reliant on gate revenues still to a greater degree than they ought to be. And certainly the team where I live is one of them, and I would imagine the team where you live might be too but they got a lot of corporate sponsorship money in the back pocket as well, or yeah. at least they used to. I'm not entirely inclined to hear it from the MLS teams that have wealthy owners or corporate owners. But I do think it's part of why you have only ever heard from the league so far that games are going to be rescheduled, not called off completely, because some of these teams are genuinely terrified of refunding anything to their customers because then that's money they don't have to pay themselves with. Well, yeah, I mean, that is, that's a big thing. And Don Garber sent out another message this morning just talking about rescheduling and everything like that. And there, I mean, this, this has been a discussion over in Europe, especially in the UK, if the season was suspended, if it was curtailed dramatically, do they have to pay sponsors back money? Do they have to pay back, like, broadcasting deals? And... The big MLS teams, because of the expansion fees paid, these aren't poor clubs. But when you look lower down, like USL, USL1, some of the the PDL teams, NPSL, I mean, there's a lot of talk in England and Scotland, clubs could go bust. 43% of revenue for these smaller clubs in the UK is made up from gate revenue. Now, in a North American point of view, would you see that there could be genuinely clubs in danger here? Yes. I'd like to think that the MLS clubs won't be among them, but maybe, you know. You'd have to think probably not, but... I I would have to think probably not at the MLS level. I would like to think not at the USL championship level, but I might be wrong about that. And, And this is something that I have observed over time, Michael, and I'm sure you have too. And a lot of people that we've found on Twitter and that we know and so on and so forth are generally not willing to admit this. It actually takes a lot of money to run a sports team. Oh, yeah. And that's part of why I don't subscribe to the zealotry of ProRail in the way that other people do. Because there are people who would say, oh, I'll just launch a fifth division team and take it up. And I'll get there. I'm sure I'll get there, you know. Well, no, it's not like that. It's not actually like that. The the way that North American football works, it's obviously very 
very different to, to the rest of the world. And yeah, I mean, it's way too early to even look at, at how the league might look when it, when it does come back because we don't know if we're going to be back in May, in June, July, August, maybe not even at all. So there's no point sort of delving into that. But there's, there's... Can I give you one more, by the way, that I'm actually worried about? Sure. If I'm going to be actually worried, I mean, yes, I said USL League 1 and below. I am actually worried about the NWSL. Yes, because there's not a lot of money there to begin with. Correct. And I'm not that deal that they've signed with CBS. I like to know how much money is in it. And if it's not a lot, that's not going to help. Yeah, because wages still have to get paid. And at some point, money does run out. And if it's not coming in, unless, you know, unless U.S. soccer, I don't want to say bails them out because it's a little too strong a word, but it, it you know, unless U.S. soccer kicks in some more money, which they've sort of said they don't want to do, although maybe now under the new president, Cindy Cohen, that changes. We can talk about that later. But that I'm worried about. I'd, I'd be more worried about them. Now, and, and the other thing is we don't know. We don't know if there's going to be an Olympics yet. Yeah. If there is, and the U.S. win it, sorry. <laughs> we know that the money is going to come into the NWSL. But we got a long way to go before we get there. Well, I mean, that that's the the whole thing. Like, looking, again, on a continent level, CONCACAF's obviously cancelled the CCL, things like the, the Nations Cups, or the, sorry, the Leagues Cup is... Maybe not going to go ahead, but that's not the end of the world. But you've got like Nations League, and you've got World Cup qualifying, you've got Olympic qualifying. It actually matter. What the League's Cup? No, the the, the the national team competitions actually matter quite a bit. Oh no, yeah, those those I do, yeah. But I mean, I was talking about the League's Cup didn't matter, but all the other that, stuff. That, right, that yeah. wasn't until August anyway. We'll they'll figure that out later. Yeah, but the na- the national well, thing's very important. The one team in the whole of Major League Soccer that is in the League's Cup this year that would actually benefit from playing it is the Philadelphia Union. Because their young American kids would get some great experience. That's like the only team in the field. Maybe RSL too, but they played in that thing last year. I cover the one team that would actually benefit from it, which is crazy. <laughs> well, I mean, if you're talking about crazy, like one of the MLS teams that benefits from a shutdown just now is the Whitecaps because it gives us the chance to get all our players here up to fitness get all the visa issues sorted out, so when we come back, we're going to have a stronger team. Well, I think, and I think that can be said for a couple teams, but you're right. Absolutely. Um, look, if some games are written off, is it going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to hurt. But is it really going to hurt that much in the long run? I, I just don't think so. And if, and it's an if, if, ESPN and Fox and TSN come around and say, hey, we're not going to kill you over this, but let's start talking about a new rights deal. And I'm not saying I know that's going to happen. I don't necessarily know, per se, that that's going to happen. But if it does, they won't be short on money for too long, is my point. Yeah, but but then who holds the power in those negotiations? Because you would have thought... MLS and... The TV networks always do. Yeah. But, I mean, MLS, all the talk was they were going to get a better deal this time around and there was going to be more money on the table. Yeah, but then the TV companies say, well, we have nothing to show just now, so why 
why would we want to invest in you just now? Give us a sweet deal or we'll look for some money back. Um, two reasons. One is I don't think they're going... The scale of it in MLS is not that big relative to the NBA, hockey, baseball, etc. Yeah, that's true. The second is we know that the MLS broadcasters, especially in the United States, when this current deal was signed, they deliberately overpaid relative to the market value because they wanted to be more money in the league to sign players with. And I guess if you're looking at signing players as well, I mean, this knocks out summer transfer windows. And I mean, I, I don't know did, I don't know if you saw Wayne Rooney's comments this, this morning about a way to kind of solve the English situation. T- he tied it in. I skimmed it. I yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the, with the World Cup, the next World Cup in 2022 is getting played in the winter. So it actually, like, the point that he was arguing was it gives leagues the chance to reorganise and change the schedule that they played to then tie in for when the World Cup happens in 2022. And surprisingly, there. Yeah. yeah, of all of the stuff I've read from so-called experts... Wayne Rooney's one of the guys that's come up with a, the, one of the most sensible plans. And, I mean, the problem, though, for MLS in that case, though, is weather. Because if you delay the season, so many clubs cannot play games, you would think, in the winter months. I don't think... Well, remember that they bought themselves November. Yeah. Moving the schedule up in the way they have. And in a lot of places, you've bought yourself December as well. Maybe not no, Philly. There are, there are worse things to have to figure out. True. I don't know in the grand scheme of things, none of this really matters when you look at the whole world's thing. Well, but that's, like, that's, And I think that there will be some acknowledgement along the way Yeah. about that. But like I say, we're a, we're a football show, so that, that's why we're concentrating on the football aspect. But it, it, considering it's the MLS's 25th year, it was a showcase year, it's just it's the worst possible thing that could happen to the league... I don't think that it's a case that they'll not get over it. I think they'll very, very much get over it. But it's the knock-on effect that it's going to have for international competitions, Olympics, World Cup qualifying, all these things. I would not want to be the people responsible for having to come up with a solution because there's no solution when football gets back to normal that is going to please everyone. No, there probably isn't. But I will, I will say that maybe there, there's, look, I'm sure there's going to be two games a week for a while. And I would, I would probably hope that the league and the Players Association would sit down and say, hey, how can we figure this out with some USL players and so on so that more easily able to play you know, two games a week and not kill everybody, figuratively speaking, I should yeah. say in the current context. <laughs> but you know yeah. what I mean. And you throw out the charter rule. I mean, MLS already said... When they said, you know, when they initially said we're going to try to keep playing, everybody's chartering everywhere for the rest of the year. Yeah, or for you know, for the foreseeable future, which is sensible. And right, you go you go down that way. You do charter, you do as many charter flights as you can to keep the bodies fresh. You up the roster sizes and bring some of the USL kids up, and you say, look, yes, the quality of play is going to diminish. But if we're going to play two times a week, then this is what's going to happen. Yeah, it's certainly a lot of of interesting times ahead. I, you have to look at as well, like a club like Inter Miami, who have had such a, 
a difficult time even getting to having a club in MLS and all the problems that they've had. And are they ever going to play a home game this year? It's like that's one of the questions. It's like they must just feel cursed right now. I think so as well, even if it ends up being a cup competition or you've got just playing each other in the conference initially and then... I mean, there, there's there's certainly options and if anything, it could make for a very exciting end to the year. And I, and I will say this too, and I'm like, look, I can't tell you who's going to win the Cascadia Cup this year specifically or whatnot. But in American sports, as, as, as you and as all the listeners know, we're usually a little bit okay with not standing on principle every single second of the time and figuring out pragmatic ways to do stuff. True. So, you know, if a couple of games get knocked off here or there, I, I don't think it's going to kill everybody. Again, I shouldn't use that phrase, I realize. I know. It's, it's hard not to, though. And it's like... <laughs> for, I mean, for me, it's... We talked about this on our show last week. When times get tough in Scotland... You laugh about it. You make jokes about it. It's just how you how you cope with things. It's like I I was back in Scotland recently. My mum's gone into hospital. She's got Alzheimer's, and it's like my way to deal with that is I make jokes about it, and that's that's just how we cope. And I know some folk don't like that, but that's how we deal with things on the show. That's how we do deal with things on the site. We know it's a worrying time, but it's so easy to just get caught up in. And just the doom and gloom of it. If you watch the news cycles, you read Twitter, you just you wouldn't want to leave the house and stuff. And so we talked about this in part one of the show, whereas there's going to be people that feel isolated and mental health issues and loneliness and elderly people. And like you need some normality. So we have to kind of look ahead to what might happen and stuff like that, because if you don't, you just don't see any way of getting out of it. Well, and, you know, if you're listening out there, call your friends. Tell them hi. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that is it for this part, anyway, talking about the coronavirus. But we're going to be back with Jonathan in part three, looking at what was a very eventful week off the pitch in US soccer. And we'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Carl Robinson. Uh, You're listening to the AFTN podcast.
Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show. That was the Buscocks and a song called Isolation from their album Trade Test Transmissions, which was their first album that they came back with after they reformed. That was way back in 1993. Seemed a very apt song for these times that we're in just now. But we don't want this whole show to be about the coronavirus. There's a lot more football talk to be had. So we're back in this part with Jonathan Tannenwald from the Philadelphia Inquirer. And in this part, we're going to look at what has been a very, very eventful week in US soccer. Not to do with the coronavirus and the shutdown, but just some crazy things happening off the pitch regarding the Federation, the women's national team, the lawsuit. There's been resignations, there's been recriminations, sponsors have been getting pulled. I mean, all in all, Jonathan, this has been an absolutely crazy week in US soccer. It's been extraordinary. It has been absolutely extraordinary. I I got to tell you also, if he hadn't resigned, if Cordero had not resigned when he had, it would have been the only story in the sports news nationally. Yeah. And that would have made it even worse. I mean, you know how bad it is when everything is going on with the coronavirus, but this is still making the headlines even above this. It was just like watching from afar, and obviously it, a lot of it just doesn't make sense up here because of various things. Now, I'm going to make it make sense. Excellent. Doesn't mean I like it, but I'm going to make it make sense. And I'm probably going to have some of your listeners who've been around for a while, you know, remembering the old sack, the CSA years of the, you know, the 2000s and so on. And I know that was let out of Toronto in a lot of ways, but, and I'm not saying that the CSA has fixed itself because it hasn't. No. All the way. But you remember what that was like, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to start by reading two passages. I'll keep them short. The first is from a letter that Carlos Cordero sent to the U.S. soccer community. It was a public letter. It was sent to sort of directly to the membership, but they, you know, it was published, and they didn't try to hide it from anybody. You know, the, the, the women's players are... They have put a dollar value on the amount of money that they are seeking from U.S. soccer, and it is $66.7 million. That, when they added everything up that they want, that was the number that it came to, and that was the number that got out in public. So Cordero writes in this letter that because of all the different things that U.S. soccer has to do, quote, it is not reasonable or fiscally sound for U.S. soccer to make up the gap, end quote. It would seriously, he goes on to say, it would seriously impair our ability to support our mission and invest in these other critical developmental areas, one of which, by the way, is the men's team has not had a working CBA in 15 months. He didn't mention that. But oh. I the second is from a filing that U.S. soccer's legal team, some of which are outside counsel, I'm sure was reviewed by the head of the in-house legal for the Federation, although Cordero claimed he did not read every word of this filing, and that either is not true or a dereliction of duty, if it was true, take your pick. The filing said, quote, the overall soccer playing ability, and the word ability is bold and italicized, required to compete at the senior men's national team level is materially influenced by the level of certain physical attributes such as speed and strength required for the job, end quote. That was filed Monday night. Both sides presented their sort of last cases to the judge as to 
there should be summary judgment instead of a jury trial and why the judge should rule in their favor. Each side wrote a filing. And they went into the system Monday night. That was the first sentence from U.S. Soccer. The sentence of the second in the same section was, plaintiffs ask the court to conclude that the ability required of a women's national team player is equal to the ability of a, of a men's national team player as a relative matter, as, and then as a relative matter was bolded and italicized, by ignoring the materially higher level of speed and strength required to perform the job of a men's national team player. That started the final revolt. I, I like, understandably. Yeah, revolt already, but that tipped it over because the, sp- the, the, the sponsors went after him, which obviously the money talks. Yeah. Coca-Cola, Volkswagen, Budweiser, and Deloitte all issued statements denouncing it and asking to meet with U.S. soccer. A bunch of current and former players denounced it. A number of former men's players, including Demarcus Beasley, who's quite famous, obviously, Taylor Twelman and Hercules Gomez, who work in television, Dax McCarty, who's quite popular even though he was never a big-time player, all denounced it. As you can imagine, all the former women's players, Mia Hamm, et cetera, denounced it. The women's, the current women's team on Wednesday night when they played Japan went out onto the field with their warm-up jerseys turned inside out so that you could see the, the exterior border of the stitching of the U.S. soccer crest and the four stars above it, but not the U.S. soccer crest, which was quickly turned into a T-shirt that's been selling like hotcakes <laughs> and sold by the, the women's national team players union gets a portion of the revenue on that. Well, that's good. So, you know, it had tipped over. Heather O'Reilly called on, who was a former U.S. women's player of quite some renown, who I'm sure your listeners have heard of, called on Cordero to resign. She was on the Athletes Council that had a vote in the election in 2016. And she said on Twitter, there was a lot of promises and hopes for change. The current release statements have shown my error in judgment. The chair of the Athletes Council, who's a Paralympian, said the group, quote, requested a meeting with U.S. soccer leadership and members of the legal team to demand better. Don Garber denounced Cordero. He said, in no uncertain terms, how unacceptable and offensive I found the statements to be. He's on the board, and he's one of Cordero's guys. So when he turns table, even if it's theatrics, it means something. Well, that, that was one of the questions I had, though. Like, Garber, and it, like even Cindy Parlow Cohn, it's like... He's president and is now the president. Yeah, so like they're on the board. So are are you telling me they didn't know what wording was in this either? That's one of the big questions, especially about Paulo Cohn. Yeah. Now, I'm willing to believe that the board members, all of whom have other jobs, as does Paulo Cohn, the vice presidency, like the presidency, is a volunteer position. Yeah, I just read that this I'm, morning. I'm willing to believe that they didn't read every word of this. Cordero is the president. Yeah. And that is where the buck stops. Like, my hunch is he didn't read it because he's thinking, oh, I don't need to read it. It's a long document. I just trust the lawyers. And obviously... 2,600 pages of filings combined between the two sides. Yeah. In this round of filings alone. So, yes, it's a lot. But if, you're, if, you're, if you know what's going on here and you know that you're going... By the way, that that Saturday night? That Saturday... We were all in New York because the U.S. women were playing in New York or at Red Bull Arena. We oh, all, yeah. 
that's where all the so- a lot of the soccer media are, plus the national media, the TV networks, and all that, who were all there covering the game on Saturday between the U.S. and Spain. And it was International Women's Day. Yes. So it, it's if you're the president and you're letting your legal team run that far on its own, the buck stops with you. And as a, a good friend of mine, Meg Lenahan of The Athletic, very aptly noted, the stance by U.S. soccer is not new. They have been on their way. They have been sort of hinting at it in a couple of different ways over the course of this lawsuit. And now they finally get, came out and said it, um, said it straight up. I'll, this is the last thing I'm going to say. Some of the people who were really behind that sentiment at U.S. soccer, who were Sunil Gulati, the former president, Japer Halter, the chief commercial officer who has tentacles and everything money-related that U.S. soccer does, and Dan Flynn, who was the former CEO who negotiated all the collective bargaining agreements over the years. This, this, you know, we sort of knew what they thought before about the women's team, and this really revealed their true colors. But it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah. And, you know, Flynn was gone. Flynn's gone. Burhalter was gone. When he realized he wasn't going to become the CEO, he finally left. And good riddance, if I may say so. A lot of people didn't like him. Gulati was gone, obviously, although he was still in the board meetings and poking his head around everything. Cordero was the only really big one left. And so he, the buck stops with him. Yeah, I think he was in a position that he had no alternative but, but to resign, really. And like when you look at the lawsuit, there was a lot of th- ways that I thought, and I haven't followed it that closely, but I thought there's a lot of ways U.S. soccer could maybe approach it. They could maybe say, well, look, the women's game doesn't generate anywhere near as much money as the men's World Cup. Oh yeah, in, in this country, no. That argument, yeah, but worldwide. The last couple of years, the women's national team has generated more revenue for U.S. soccer than the men. Yeah, but I thought they would possibly go with the worldwide thing, or I thought they would maybe just talk about there. There's not as many like opportunities, or you could argue, and I'm not saying this is right or wrong, that it's easier to win the women's World Cup because there's not as many top quality nations. So they're. Well, they tried to. They tried to do that. At one point, and the women, the women shot back and said, "Yeah, but your men stink." <laughs> yeah, basically. And you still, you can only beat what's in front of you, and you still have to get the job done. And like, full credit to the U.S. women's national team; they were outstanding at the last World Cup, so they they did the job. But to go after them because of the physical side of stuff. I mean, even for me that, that's made the odd joke here and there about women's soccer, even I'm shaking my head at that going, in this day and age, how did you think that would not be the big headline from this? Well, and the amazing, the even, the even more notable thing about it than that is that for a long time, even though they were obviously losing in the court of opinion, they were holding out from settling because they had some reason to believe that they were going to win in the court of law. And the reason why they had a decent shot at winning is that actual law at play here, which is the Equal Pay Act, and you know various other aspects of, of gender discrimination and so on that are that are on you know on the U.S. books. U.S. Soccer's argument had a shot, which was a collective bar- a collectively bargained contract can't be an Equal Pay Act violation. Mm. And I think they. I, I'm not a legal expert. 
you know, some of your listeners know that I do a show now on women's soccer with, with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. Yeah. I haven't had a real legal expert on the show yet, and hopefully I will soon. I think they might have blown it by going down the gender road. Well, that's what I was going to ask. It's like, with all this bad publicity, it's like it's going to make it really difficult for them to argue now in, in court. And, I mean, they, they've lost public opinion. Well, no, because obviously we don't know. It might not matter to the judge. Yeah. But the judge has been skeptical of U.S. soccer previously. And if you're going to make the actual literal gender argument, you're risking losing the case. Oh, absolutely. So obviously with Cordero's resignation, we now have Cindy Parlocone, as we talked about just a couple of minutes ago, coming in. She was vice president. She's going to be there until the elections, which I believe is in February next year. So she gets a year out of the gate. Then there's an election for her to serve out the further year that would be to the end of Cordero's term for which he was elected. Right. Which will go to... which. So basically, she serves until the 2021, I think, AGM, annual general meeting, of U.S. soccer when everybody gets elected. an election for her to serve out the remainder of Cordero's term, which goes to about the same period of time in 2022, and then there's an election to see whether she gets a full four-year term after that. Right. If she is successfully settled with the U.S. women between now and the next AGM, and if after that, even better, she gets the CBA signed with the men, she's going to be president for a while, and I'm not really going to object to that uh, because she's got the chop and... She's got on-field resume as one of the stars of the 99 World Cup team. Yeah, and I, I know it's risky to to say this, and I'm like not meaning it in any sexist way at all, but you would have to feel that having a woman leading it now who's been there and been through these struggles, it should be a different attitude towards the women's team. As long as the board lets it be. Yeah, because that, that, the that's the concern. And the the interesting one. Because I know the last election was quite, it, for like the last election where Cordero got in, it was pretty bitter and brutal at times. Oh, nasty. It, it, was, it was bad. Now, I will also say, it was in a few ways good to have a contested election for once in their lives. But, you know, in terms of what's going to, you know, what, what Cohen can do, we're going to find out how much the board limits her or not, because one of the things that a lot of people don't know about U.S. Soccer's board is that a lot of the people on it don't have all that much to do with professional soccer. And a lot of the membership of the Federation, as is, I suspect, the case with the CSA, has nothing to do with U.S. Soccer. What is it? It's all the state, the U.S. case, provincial and Canada's cases, youth and adult amateur associations. Mm. And this is, this is a, something that I think you're going to... I hope I'm not the only person in U.S. soccer media who in the next few weeks is going to get into this in quite some depth. The board members of U.S. soccer who come from the youth and, el- youth and adult amateur ranks, we need to find out whether or not they and their members actually care about this equal pay issue. Because some of us have a hunch that they don't. And when people are saying, you know, sack the board and clean house, getting to those board members is not so easy because there are not direct connections through the professional game 
way, Don Garber does actually take something of an interest in women's soccer. He wants it to succeed, even if at the end of the day it is because he, put, he might stand to benefit financially from it. I'm okay with that because he wants women's soccer to be successful, and I've covered the sport in this country for a long time. Yeah. So how do you get the people who represent the amateur and youth games in this country, how do you get to find out what their opinions are on the equal pay suit, all this other stuff? Well, the answer is you as a, the people who have, like people would ask just as they would ask the folks who are up there when, when have apply pressure on the CSA. Well, the answer is go to the association that governs the league that your kid plays in and ask them what's their view. I'm pretty sure US soccer is going to be a lot like it is here, where there's just so much self-interest and local interest that that is going to be very difficult. Well, it is. And cutting through that is going to be a significant challenge for a lot of us, and it might come down to what it sort of came down to with the presidential election the last time around, and I'll hopefully have some time to get into this now, in the next couple of weeks, which is all of us who work for local papers around the country and whatnot, have to call around to the local associations and say, hey, what do you think about this? And, you know, it's like, because in the presidential election, by way of example, if you're in, here, me in Philadelphia, I called around the state associations, the associations in Pennsylvania and New Jersey and said, who are you voting for? If you're Matt Pence down in Seattle, you call over to Washington Youth Soccer and say, who are you voting for? And get them on the record. If they will, though, that's Well, and if they the don't, thing. then you treat them like City Hall and say they didn't want to comment. Mm. Interesting, interesting times. And it really is. Like I said, it's an ideal time to cover this in, in a lot of things. You just have to hope that folk will. I mean, how, how are you planning on, on filling your, your time these days since there's no live football to cover? Well, I have, I have, you know, whatever unfolds with this, and I also have some other you know, sort of things that I do at work at my job. So I'll be focusing over on that way and, you know, trying to help out our news reporting crew however I can. And then, you know, look, this is, I hate to sound all highfalutin about it, but I'm going to for a minute. This is kind of a point in time where those of us who work in sports, if we can help our colleagues out and help our communities out, maybe the sport goes on the back burner for a little while. Well, certainly looks like it's going to. As always, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today. Michael, it's always my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Where can folk find you online? I'm on Twitter at The Goalkeeper. And you can find my writing work at inquirer.com slash soccer. And uh, if people do want to subscribe from afar to the paper um, or to to our, our website or whatnot, that is at... Uh, inquirer.com slash Tannenwald, my last name. And I mention, I use that URL because it is one which, um, if people subscribe that way, it gets tracked to me and, and I get the credit for the referral traffic, which uh, I would like to have because it does show my bosses uh, that there is demand and interest for an interest in our soccer coverage. Yeah, absolutely, and we'll we'll mention that on the on the site as well. And it's important just to support media and proper media, the media that you can trust, and, and more so than ever right now. And 
Good luck to you, Jonathan. I hope everything works out down in Philly and I hope it doesn't get too crazy down there. And hopefully we'll, we'll talk again quite soon. Well, thank you, Michael. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much to Jonathan there for joining us on the phone all the way from Philadelphia. Always a pleasure to have Jonathan on the show and I'm sure we'll have him on again soon. I want to bring you a lot more of these interviews over the, the coming weeks and maybe months with people that you'll know from the North American soccer community. And as we talked about in the first two parts of this week's show, the coronavirus shutdown of the beautiful game is affecting pretty much all parts of the world right now, but not all. And of course, something that it is affecting greatly right now is football violence. So sad with this being the official AFTN Football Violence Awareness Month, it's really hard to have football violence when you have to stay six feet away from people. Though I'm sure there will be a little bit of adaptations, folk will maybe get some really big spears or or poles or something that they can keep getting their rucks with. But whereas it may have curtailed that in real life, nothing It's going to stop AFTN's Football Violence Awareness Month on Wavelength and we bring you another song just now from a band we featured before on Wavelength and featured before in our Football Violence Awareness Month section. The Last Resort, an English band from London. And this is a song from their 1982 album A Way of Life, Skinhead Anthems. This is Resort Boot Boys. Resort there with Resort Boot Boys from 1982 and their album A Way of Life Skinhead Anthems. Hope you enjoyed that one. This would be the ideal time to say remember to get all your football violence awareness t-shirts and merchandise from the AFTN store. Something we've not quite got round to setting up yet. 
But I guess we've got some time on our hands and a lot of hours to kill. I think we should get on that pretty soon and, and see what we can get brought up for you. A couple of folk have asked for some AFTN merchandise this year and I've kind of alluded to it in, on previous episodes of the show. But it's something that we're going to look into this year and hopefully bring some of those out for you soon. Football Violence Awareness Month has not gone on hold despite the coronavirus. We are ploughing on. But of course the world's game has been deeply affected by it and uh, a number of footballers as well coming down with it and managers including Arsenal boss Mikel Arteta. And yes, we know it's no laughing matter but as I've said several times on the show and on Twitter you've basically got to have a sense of humour in times like this because if you didn't, it just it's grim stuff out there and the news is certainly grim to watch. So we hope we are going to bring you a little bit of enjoyment still here on the AFT and Soccer Show. Because who knows when the Whitecaps season will be back, MLS will be back, the CPL will be back, just football in general on this continent and beyond. It certainly does feel like it's a, a good few months away before we actually get to, to see some football back on the pitch and maybe get to attend some matches. Hopefully I'm just being a little bit doom and gloom and looking at my glass half empty approach there, but we'll see. No confirmations yet, but there has been murmurs as well that some of the leagues are just going to call it a day and they're not going to complete their seasons. It's going to kind of shut down possibly even to September when some of the seasons are due to set back up again. MLS is in the fortunate position, as we mentioned, of being really early on in their season. Only two matches played, two weeks in. So there is a lot of time to kind of reschedule that and maybe do some stuff with it. Or it could be that... The LA win that we saw for the Whitecaps is the last time we see the Whitecaps in action this year. You have to hope not to, but hey, who knows at, at this stage. So this might actually be the end of the Whitecaps season. This might be our annual Whitecaps end of season special. So to have a little bit of fun to round off this episode of the show, Zach's going to join us back in the phone and we're going to do our Whitecaps end of season review. And we'll be back with that and a fun new feature after this. Hi, I'm Alfonso Davies, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back everybody, you're listening to episode 386 of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. That was the wonderful sound of Pete and Diesel, Stornoway's finest, 
from the Isle of Lewis in the Western Isles of Scotland. That was Country Boy from Pete and Diesel's first album from 2019, Uptown Fank. The band, of course, are AFTN's Artists of the Month for March. Hope you've been enjoying the songs that we've brought you from the band. They seem to have gone down very well. And a nice remote place like the Isle of Lewis, any of the, the Scottish islands really, certainly seems like a nice place to be right now with all the coronavirus epidemic. And as Boydie sang there, if you're a country boy and you don't like the city, you don't want to be in crowds, you just want to stay at home watching the telly, that's pretty much the best thing to do, I think, right now. I know that's what I'm doing a lot of this week. Of course, with the lack of football on television, the lack of sports on television, a lot of people are going to be kind of suffering from withdrawal symptoms. They kind of need their fix. Football and sport is just such a release from life that that people are going to miss having it in their lives, I feel. So we try to help out a little bit on AFTN. If you haven't seen our article on AFTN.ca yet, it went up in the early hours of Saturday morning. A new section that we've launched on the site called Sitting Round at Home named after the Buzzcock song on A Different Kind of Tension, their third LP. What we're going to bring you in this section is kind of some of my recommendations for things that you can do to fill your football void in in these coming weeks. So that's going to be films about football, television shows about football, documentaries about football. We'll also look at some of our favourite books about football as well, both fiction and non-fiction. Because who really knows when all this is going to kind of get back to some kind of normality. And of course it's not just all about the kind of visual stimulation and visual media that you can kind of get to fill this void just now as well. As I mentioned there, we're going to look at some of our favourite football books in the sitting round at home section. And when it comes to books, you can read it yourself or you can have the audio version or a dramatised version of it. Now, as you know... We like to do things a little bit differently on AFTN than some of the other podcasts and and radio shows that you're going to hear about football in the city, throughout Canada, throughout North America, really. We like to do some odd things, some quirky things, some unusual out-of-the-box things, and something which I had hoped to do a couple of years, actually, this was in the making, was during the off-season, when things got a bit quieter, to bring you on a weekly basis a serialisation of a a football book of sorts. Because obviously for copyright reasons, we can't just read out football books on the radio. But if you dig back into the archives, and I've talked about this a lot over the years, I'm an avid collector of certain aspects of football memorabilia. And one thing I do love to collect is football comics. Comic books from back in the day, in the 1960s and the 1970s. And when I'm talking about comics, some folk automatically think of like superhero comics and Marvel and DC. Other folk might think of like comic strips in the newspapers or stuff like that. Now, when I was a lad in the UK, comics, you were growing up, you had your your weekly comics. You had the Beano, the Dandy, Whizzer and Chips, Tiger, Beezer. It was like an endless list of of comics and it was all fantastic entertainment for for a, a kid. They were basically comic strips, sometimes standalone stories just for that episode. Sometimes they would run over a couple of episodes. The comics also brought out holiday specials, summer specials and annuals every year where you, you had your collection of stories, you had some kind of written stories, not just kind of 
cartoon illustrated ones, lots of like pictures and quizzes and just a, a whole variety of things. And of course one of the most famous comic books of that kind of genre is Roy of the Rovers. I'm sure many of you will have heard of that. And within the pages of Roy of the Rovers, it wasn't just about Roy of the Rovers himself. You had things like Billy's Boots, uh, about young Billy Dane that found a, a pair of football boots that belonged to an old footballer. And every time he put them on, it kind of channeled the excellent play and some moments in his career of a, an old famous footballer called Charles Deadshot Keen, fictional footballer. And that was a comic strip that ran from years, starting in the 60s, continued in the Royal Rovers magazine and Tiger comic. And they actually just brought out a compilation book at the end of January, start of February, the best of, of Billy's boots. So you, you can check that out as well. Now, in a lot of these comics, but in particularly the summer specials and Christmas annuals, they had kind of standalone written story. A little bit of illustration in it, but mostly just a, a written piece, a, a, just a, a fun throwaway story about football. A good tale of fiction. This was particularly popular in, in the comics of the 20s, the 30s, the 40s and the 50s. And that is what I have delved into my collection in to bring you a serialisation that we're going to do over the coming weeks. I, mean, I think it could run to maybe six, eight, ten parts. It's going to be like you're a kid back in the 50s and you're going along at the cinema to watch Flash Gordon and the, the first five or ten minutes of the story that would be on before your main movie and then you'd have to tune in again the following week to see exactly what happened and the, the cliffhanger ending. How on earth would Flash Gordon get out of this one? This is maybe not as dramatic as Flash Gordon, but it's a bit of fun for you anyway and something a little bit different just to brighten your mood in these difficult times. So sit back. Grab your favourite beverage, a chocolate digestive. It's time for the first episode of AFTN's Serial of the Week. It's Tough for the Son of a Soccer Star by Edward Dale. Dick Denby grew suddenly excited as he heard steps coming towards the front door. That must be the postman, he exclaimed eagerly. He raced from the bathroom to the top of the stairs and began to descend them, two at a time, but he was too late. As Dick neared the bottom, he saw his father bend down to pick up the only letter from the mat and begin to open it. Dick Denby's face fell. Not for me, Dad, he called, trying hard to keep the disappointment from his voice. Afraid not, son, his father answered glancing sympathetically at Dick. Look here, he went on. Why not forget the United? After all, you're only 17, and there are plenty of other clubs about, you know. But there's only one Bracktown United, Dad, cried Dick. Nearly top of the second division, and they'll be champions by the end of the season. Why haven't they replied to my letter? At half-time during the previous Saturday's match at the Brackdown Stadium... An announcement had been made over the loudspeakers, inviting any young player wishing for a trial with Bracktown United to apply by letter. After the game, Dick Denby had rushed home and written off to the club, giving details of his playing career. Today was Thursday, and still he had no reply. Every morning, full of hope, he rushed downstairs to meet the postman, and each morning brought disappointment. He was growing more and more despondent. Dick shot a puzzled glance at his father. You're not very keen for me to join the United, are you, Dad? he asked. Why not? 
Didn't you play for them yourself years ago? The greying, middle-aged man swung round sharply. Who told you that, Dick? he asked rather brusquely, a worried frown on his face. Mother told me, Dick answered. She said you were one of their star players for several seasons, but you had to give up the game very suddenly and move away from Bracton. Dick's father looked uneasy. Then he asked, Did she tell you why I gave it up? Yes, Dad, because of an injury, Dick went on. She also told me I was never to mention your your playing days because the injury had been terrible and a terrible blow to you and, and you hated talking about it. <sighs> that That's right, Dick. His father sounded relieved. I don't like talking about it, and now we've come to live in Bracktown again, please don't mention it to anyone that, that I used to play for the United. It was 16 or 17 years ago, and I'd, I'd rather it stayed forgotten. Now, off, off you go and finish dressing. Dick returned thoughtfully to the bathroom. I can't understand it, he muttered to himself. Why should Dad keep it a secret? After all, there was no disgrace in in being forced to give up playing because of injury. Still, I suppose it must be terrible to be crocked and and know that he can never kick a ball again. That's what made him move out of, of the town, I guess. Dick Denby had been born not far from Bracton, but recently the family had moved back into the centre of the town to take over a small hardware store. Dick had always been a faithful supporter of Bracktown United, even though he preferred playing to watching. And he had been delighted when his father decided to buy the shop, which was quite near to the stadium. After breakfast, Dick gave his father some assistance in the shop. Then about mid-morning, he decided to go down to the station to see if some goods had arrived. His walk took him towards United's magnificent ground. He deliberately stepped across the road and stood on the pavement outside the stadium, lost in thought. Nearby, a door marked players and officials only, stood wide open. Gazing through the door, Dick was able to see into the corridor underneath the grandstand. Branching off from it was the tunnel leading to the pitch, and at the far end of it he could just see a small patch of lush green turf. Across this little patch of grass from time to time flashed legs, clad in football boots and the red and blue ringed socks of Bracktown United. As Dick listened, he heard the thud of a ball and an occasional peep from a whistle. Gosh, muttered Dick. The players are having a practice game. Don't I wish I was in there with them? Then Dick had an idea. The door leading into the stand was wide open. What was there to stop him walking boldly into the ground? And at least watching the game? The worst they could do was throw him out again. Squaring his shoulders but feeling extremely nervous, Dick walked through the door and along the tunnel. There were a few people standing along the touchline, mostly officials of the club, but no one took any notice of Dick Denby as he emerged from the tunnel, trying to look as if he had every right to be there. Dick thrilled as he looked out onto the pitch and recognised many of his heroes of the first team, including his particular idol, English international outside left, Andy Masters. Dick was a left winger himself, and Andy Masters was the man on whom he had tried to model his playing style. Dick soon realised that the game was little more than a glorified kickabout, Bob Warner, the trainer, and Fred Bagley, the assistant trainer, both old United players, frequently stopped the game to change a man's position or to switch a player from one team to the other. Twice the ball came near Dick, and it was only with the greatest effort that he forced himself to remain on the touchline. If only he dared to trust himself to kick the ball. 
At last his chance came. It wasn't, however, the chance he had been expecting. One of the backs cleared with a terrific kick up field, and the ball, travelling like a bullet, hurtled towards the spot where Dick was standing. The ball was well up in the air and looked certain to end up somewhere in the grandstand, but Dick leapt high and caught it in his hands, as safe as a star goalkeeper. Now Dick glanced along the wing. Forty yards away stood Andy Masters, but he was covered by two of the opposing side. Dick didn't hesitate. Here it comes, Andy, he yelled. He swung the ball back behind his head and then sent it soaring away down the wing. It was one of the longest and most accurate throw-ins seen on Bracktown's ground for a long time and the ball flew straight towards Andy Masters' feet. There were gasps from the small crowd of spectators on the touchline. Several of the players stared across at the stocky youngster. Way down the pitch, Andy Masters suddenly stopped and picked up the ball. Hey you! he exclaimed, running up to Dick. Where did you learn to throw a ball like that? You obviously know something about the game, and if you can kick a ball as well as you can throw one, you've no right to be hanging around on the touchline. By now, Dick was full of confidence. Try me and see, he replied eagerly. The other players and the two trainers, glad of a breather, stood watching. Dick quickly bent down and tucked his trousers into his socks. Then he darted onto the field, just as Andy Masters flung the ball across to him. How will Dick get on in his trial? Will he impress Andy Masters and earn a contract with Bracktown United? Will anyone ever reply to his letter? And what is the mysterious secret his dad seems to be hiding? Find out next week on AFTN as we bring you part two of It's Tough for the Son of a Soccer Star. Oh, the drama. Find out what happens next week in part two of It's Tough to be the Son of a Footballer by Edwin Dale. And that story appeared in the 1959 Roy of the Rovers annual. I know it maybe wasn't the most exciting first episode, but things will pick up a little bit as we get into part two and beyond. So tune in next week for that. Tell you what else was full of drama. The 2020 MLS season. Boy, what an exciting two weeks that was. And to discuss it, and the magnificent comeback year for Vancouver Whitecaps, we're joined once again by Zachary Meisenheimer. So Zach, you're back to talk about the, the 2020 MLS season. What a, what a turnaround for the Whitecaps. I mean, from, from last place in the in the conference and second last in all of MLS last year to now making the playoffs. I mean, the standings, it looked like they were eighth, but when you work out the tiebreakers, which goes down to yellow cards, they actually made the playoffs. Who would have thought? Knocking the timbers out as well, which was even better. I mean, well, I guess we had the, in the preseason preview, we, uh, we did, I had them, I think, like six to ten spots. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, you were, you were spot on. I mean, were you surprised yeah. at, at how strong a playoff push they had this year? Yes, very surprised. It was very, very come from behind. Yeah, so I mean... One game, 
It was like one game they were awful, and the next game they were great, and they were in the playoffs. I mean, well, they started off the season so poor, but they finished it so strong. And we've talked before in the show about you need that strong second half push. Second to, half. Yeah, yes. second half of the season yeah, is I, crucial. I can't remember a second half of an MLS season like this for Vancouver. And unfortunately, of course, the, the is no playoffs for them to have pushed towards, but I mean, that's fine. I mean, they got there. So You, you, you also failed to ma- mention their uh, incredible road record. Oh, unbeaten on the road. Unbeaten. But Invincible, some might say. You, you have to kind of, you've got to kind of flip that over though and say, I mean, we've talked about how poor they've been at home in recent seasons, but to go a whole season without a win at home, I mean, that's just, that's just terrible. I think the new model has to be fortress any place but BC Place. Oh yeah, they should just play all their games on the road. I mean that that's the the way of it. But we're here to hand out some some awards for the year. Yeah. Who was your player of the year? This is a bit of a tough one. Um, well, do you, I have like a th- I have like two or three people. Is that is that okay? Yeah. I can I mention two or three and maybe we can break it down. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I, I think you know. You have it's hard not to include Maxime Crepo, or at least mention him. You know, uh, clean sheet. Oh yeah, ultra clean sheet, as, as you would say. But th- three goals given up over the season as well. I mean, that's not much. <laughs> not much at all. Yeah, no, that's true. And this clean sheet record, like fifty percent of the games, clean sheet. So oh yeah, that's 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 super well. So I, I you, uh, Maxime Crepo has to be. Uh, in with a shout for me. Um, Golden Boot Boy tossing Ricketts. Oh, I yes. he had li- limited, limited opportunities. Well, when you say Golden but Boot, he, I mean, he, tie, he tied it with Jake Norwinski, but if you're, if you're going on minutes played, then his ratio of minutes played for, for goals is good. Oh, actually, in that case, Jake would win it. Oh, because he played more minutes? Yeah. Toss, but, but, toss played more minutes than Jake. Costa's better goals per minute ratio. No, Jake's better goal goal per minute oh, ratio. Oh, yeah, he missed the game. Yeah. Oh, that's right. He missed the game. Anyways, let's go with Toss. Let's just give it Yeah, let's okay. He's a striker. And he's Canadian. Oh, um, yes. Well, your anti-American bias showing through yet again. Yeah, I love Jaden and Jay Nolly. Lots of, lots of dudes named Jay from America. They're great. Um... No, yeah. So uh, that's player player of the year. Okay, Crepo, uh, uh, Ricketts. Uh, there was one other person I had on my list. I think Malinkovic has to get a shout. Oh, that's a good one. Because not only did he set up Jake, but he, and, you know that was like the the, the play of the game from the Whitecaps. I, I think. I, I thought also, I think like ja- the... Janio Travis Bickle. I mean, Ooh. when he when he, he came into the lineup, he turned the Whitecaps season around. Well, you, you'll see his name come up later on in my list. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but that's another reason why it's hard to give it to Jake in terms of player, or Golden Boot. Yeah. Because I think he's been usurped. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he, he yeah, lost his starting spot through no fault of his own. I mean, he picked up an injury that, I mean, when he got that hamstring injury, I mean, you didn't think it was going to be a season-ending injury, but, no. I mean, that's just how it, how it's played out. It's unfortunate that you had to kick him at training like that. Yeah. I Well, he didn't give me the right kind of jam when I asked him. He, he just went, well, I won't spoil it because we haven't played that yet. But, yeah, I was disappointed with his jam choice. That's yeah. going to come was up in a future show. Was he walking away when you kicked him or was he still facing you? 
Well, obviously, it's a, I do a sneak attack. It's because then the time he turns around, I'm well gone. That's true. Mm. Yeah, it sounds like you. Yeah. Um, so I'd say of those of those three, you choose one for player of the year: Maxine Kripo, Tustin Ricketts, or um, David Milinkovic. I, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Ricketts then, because it was his goals that that got the Whitecaps where they where they ended up. True. Or goal, I should say. <laughs> I was gonna say. I was gonna say. He did have that bad miss though, but no, that's, that's, that's okay. What, what then if we're looking at young player of the year? Yeah, young player. Uh, who do I have for this one? Uh, at least we've got a young team to pick from this year. Yeah, a younger team. Twenty-four point uh, one average. Yeah, uh, but the starters aren't that super young. Hmm. That, that was my problem. Uh, I mean, and we didn't get to see as much as I would like to some of, from some of the really young homegrown guys. I uh, mean, that, that that was disappointing. Because all the other guys, if they feel too old to give them Young Player of the Year. I, I was going to go with young Andy Rose. He's 24, 25, 26. How old is he? 30. He's too old. He's 30. Oh, yeah, exactly. So that's, that's, young, like, that's young to me. That's like, if you're going to give it to him, then just give it to Russell Tybert. Andy's going to love you for thinking he's just 25 or 26. Had a, ha- had a tough paper was. round. <laughs> Although I grew up in England, so it probably was a tough paper round. But oh, I, 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 I might go for Johnny O'Bickle for this one. For a young player? Yeah. Came yeah, in. He? He's 24? Okay, well, if you go with him for that, I am probably going to give him my unsung hero of, of the year. For just the way he, after replacing Jake after injury, the way he adapted, uh, really in his time in MLS, just adapted to the play and shut down the players he faced while playing right back. I think I think he gets the unsung hero for me. Yeah, I was actually going to go with Andy Rose for the, for the unsung hero because, I mean, he was a guy... I I what do. He, what does he share, your favourite jam? He's a digestives fan. I thought he's a diabetic. He can't have digestives. Oh. Especially chocolate ones. Maybe I shouldn't have given him that packet as an award. Trying to kill him? Oh. He's type one. That's a bit insens- insensitive. Yeah. I- I'll-, I'll reach out to him, but I'll, I'll make sure I stay six feet away. <laughs> no hugs. No, definitely not. Johnny Russell's not come down with anything yet. I was quite happy with that. Yeah, it's good you didn't infect him. Yeah. I mean, I think basically anyone that's grown up eating haggis is going to be immune to the coronavirus. <laughs> Hashtag you're not a doctor. Yes. And as I said, I only play one when I go around the dorms. But we're we're banned from that now, so. Michael, that's so awful. Oh man. It's okay. I wore Purell. Oh my goodness. Um. Okay. Yeah. So Andy Rose got my unsung hero. Game of the year. There's no contest. Oh. Got to be LA away. Definitely. I mean, absolutely fantastic performance. I mean, I gave it to the LA game last year as well. So, I mean, back-to-back years now, our game of the year is a a surprising victory, a one-goal victory in both occasions down in LA. And this is something that I think would bring great unity to Whitecaps fans, is that like there, this would be, I think, uh, unanimous support for this choice. I, I think it would have to be. And I, I think probably as well, our next category of goal of the year, I think that's going to have 
a unanimous verdict as well. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm not, you're a big fan of a one incher, but I think you've got to give it to to toss. Did you say I'm a fan? Yeah. Oh, oh no, so, no, so, no. sorry. Cheryl's a fan, of, a big fan of a one incher. <laughs> no, no, no. Oh my! But no, I mean, it, for me, toss all the way. That's what I've been doing while self-isolating. But, yep, Tossing Ricketts, goal of the year, and boy, did he enjoy that celebration. Yeah. Oh, yeah, went to the bench. Yeah. But, like, if we're talking about... celebrating. Yeah. If we're talking about Toss and goal of the year, we have to address the, the big, big elephant in the room. The massive disappointment. You spend all that money, it's all this fanfare, you even bring him a tank of sorts... And Lucas Cavallini, I feel he's let everyone down. No goals for the entire season. A, a well, waste of money? No, if you recall when they did interviews with him, when he was in front of that fake tank, the personnel carrier, and the, he was talking to the BC Place guy, the guy who was like on security watching. Oh, yes. Do you, do you remember? And, uh-huh. and, then, and then he asked him, what do you know about this guy? And he's like, oh, I don't know, whatever. And then Cavallini himself said, oh, he... I hear he he's terrible or whatever. That's yeah. Fine. Well, yeah, I mean, you've got to admire his honesty. But I mean, yeah. is is this another case of a a proven goal scorer coming to the graveyard that is Vancouver and just all all his skills leave him? Yeah, he definitely didn't hit form in Vancouver, right? It's not like this is not a case of like oh he had no chances or no one helped set him up at all. He was set up. He had chances, and he just did not take them, whether they were from open play, from the spot, uh, you know, hit the post, you know, there are all kinds of things where he, oh, yeah. it, was, it was disappointing for him. But he, he does win our Did That Really Happen award for that penalty miss. Yes, yes, that was, yeah, that was not good. And if, if it wasn't for the fact that we had made the playoffs, because at first when we were looking at the standings, it looked like that had actually cost the Whitecaps a playoff place on, on goal difference until we yes. broke everything down. But it's fine. They have gone through. Everything is okay. Because um, I had him down for, for villain of the year as well. Oh. And, and then, I mean, because they make the playoffs, I mean, they've re- they've met the front office's ultimate goal, getting in the lottery of the playoffs. Yeah. So what, what, what more could you ask for? And I think when, when play does resume in 2022... I mean, I think we'll we'll grip that with with both hands as as we make our our playoff run. Yep. And little nod for hero of the year. I was thinking Mark Panis. Well, yeah. Are you, uh, you mean before you get to Mark Panis, I think there's more other disappointments of the year, which is the Whitecaps front office, who some of them continue to act and behave like the Whitecaps of yesteryear, uh, front offices of yesteryear, and some of their behavior. Um, but that also helps to shine the light on how refreshing Mark Panis is, as you say. The yeah. Hero, the, the definite hero of this year. I, I like how you can still manage to find time to slate the, the Whitecaps front office in this piece. I, I, admire, I admire your, your resolution to the cause. For the first time, and I can't remember how long, actually I have hope for them as an organization. Yeah, me, me too. And it'll be exciting when they come back in 2022. But I, actually, I mean, Mark Panis, the, the worthy successor to Stewie the Starfish as Hero of the Year. A lot of similarities there. Yeah. But talking of the likes of Stu the Starfish, it, we, we've got to end the, this section with, it's a new award. It's an In Memoriam Award. And this one goes to everyone's favourite mascot, apart from Stu the Starfish, 
and that is Spike, who sadly passed away this weekend. He, he'd been told he couldn't catch the coronavirus with, with being a, a bird and decided to go out and enjoy all the, the pubs and restaurants in downtown Vancouver. Didn't obviously catch the coronavirus, but let his guard down and unfortunately passed away this evening from H1N1 bird flu. Rest in peace, Spike. Your beak will be forever remembered. So, as you know, we always like to put a lot of things out to our our Twitter peeps and to our listeners, so you can send in your own nominations and forever as for your end-of-season awards. But one thing that I did put out on Twitter on Sunday night, in part one we talked about the, the Connect 4 game. Now, I want to take this to another level. I want to have MLS Hunger Games. Or Battle Royale is what I was going to go with, because to me, Battle Royale is the original Hunger Games. That's a great Japanese film from back in the day. I've always loved that. But I I threw that question out on Twitter. If the Whitecaps were going to have a tribute, who would it be and why? So here's some of the the tweets from, from some of the listeners. We had some really fun responses for this one. AFTN writer Jake McGrail, at the Jake McGrail on Twitter, said Russell Tybert, because he's ultra-fit and a loyal representative. And let's be honest, you will need some fitness to, to run around the island and make sure you can keep away from the, the other guys. So Tybert does seem a, a good nod there. AFTN photographer Tommy Waziek, residual image, also seconded that nomination. Alex from Between the Sticks said, Andy Rose, tall, fit and he's a leader so he'll make sure to create some solid alliances he just oozes district one material peter hickens said jasser kamiri no doubt his hair alone will intimidate the opposition name expert at no name underscore actual said ali his army of fans will send him everything he needs hashtag ali adnan best player and a fantastic one from warren andrews at some underscore sports guy, he said Christian Dahomey. He would flail and look like he'd been shot, tricking the opposition into thinking he was dead, then hide out somewhere until everyone else had wiped each other out. That's a winner for me. So some interesting suggestions there, Zach. I mean, who would you go with as the Whitecaps tribute? From the MLS era, are we talking? Current or MLS era. I was just thinking current, but if you want to go back a little bit further... Well, I mean, MLS era in the Hunger Games. I could you go wrong with Eric Hasley? Oh, fierce! I mean, big, he's a big target, but definitely fierce. Well, he's a bit of a gentle giant, though. He would have his two jerseys on as well in case any of them got kind of blood splattered, and maybe that would kind of act as a kind of shield as well for him. Yeah, uh, who's else? there's some crazy guys who you would be really good at this, like just all out, like because yeah, Eric was a little more laid back. David Oustead would maybe just shout people out of the game. But then he'd be maybe too loud. Yeah, he'd be too... Oh, yeah. But he might be too loud with his yelling and he might just get taken yeah. out quite early. Um, who else? I, 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 Lee Young-kyo. He would be like that, like, little, like, un, under... Under, like, underwhelming, like, no one choosing him to do well or win. And he would, like, survive, like the food would not be a problem and then he would just like snipe people or I don't do some like you know do some crazy stuff and win movie traps yeah any other Whitecaps nominations you'd have for tribute 
Send them in to us on Twitter at AFTN Canada or shoot us an email at AFTNCanada at hotmail.com. And we're going to keep this going over the next week because I want to get some nominations as well for what other players could be in it from other teams in MLS. Now, we could have just 26 players in or we could kind of keep the Hunger Games thing going. There was 13 districts originally in that, but District 13 was no more. Or was it? Of course, there's 13 teams in the Western Conference. So let's have an MLS West Hunger Games. So get your nominations in for more Whitecaps players to be tribute and what players from other teams you think would be good tributes. Obviously, Colorado Rapids has to be Kai Kamara. His height alone and his jumping ability is bound to help. And on that note, just before we go, Zach, let everyone know where they can find you online. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ZacharyAM. Thank you for joining us for the couple of parts you were in tonight, Zach, and hopefully we'll be talking again soon. Until then. Well, that is it for the latest episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show. Something a little bit different, but something I think you need to get used to, because I think this might be what the podcast is going to be like for the coming weeks and for the foreseeable future. Hope you've enjoyed listening. As always, thank you so much for all your support. And remember, if you want to support us even more, It'd be really good if you took out a subscription to AFTN's Extra Podcast. We try to bring you at least an episode every month. New original content. You can subscribe for either $3 a month or get a year subscription for $30. It'd really help us out at AFTN at this difficult time and give you something else to look forward to and listen to in the coming weeks. So you can get all the information on that on AFTN.ca. But until next time... I'm Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada, on Instagram at AFTN Soccer, and on YouTube at AFTN Canada. Also check out our new TikTok and Twitch channels at AFTN Soccer. As I keep saying, no idea what we're going to be doing with those yet, but we will do something with them pretty soon. Maybe. We'll see how that goes. But anyway, until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. Self-isolate. And wash your hands. Bye, everyone. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm.